0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the Not-So-Solitary Fortress. It is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return after our most recent Baxter Building podcast to discuss... Our most recent Baxter Building Podcast. Yes, we respond to the responses we received regarding the run by the great Master Walt Simonson. And we also go on to discuss Old Master Kung Fu Issues, the Justice League movie, Insane Sex Manga, Mental Number Six by Scott Snyder and Greg Cabulo, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. Send us your questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan.
1: Hello. Hello there. How are you?
0: Oh, man. I gotta tell you. It's the shizzle's been chrizzle, as I think um, the ow, kids today ow. are saying. <laughs> Those kids with their chrizzle shizzles.
2: I know, right? <laughs> like, what are you going to do when the shizzle gets chrizzled? Exactly! I feel you know, we've literally gone down to like a 1998 hole already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just right out of the gate.
2: Yeah, it's has it. been crizzle. I'm sorry your shizzle's been crizzle. That's That's, I mean... It's, in a one way, it's not surprising. It has been, uh, not the most sane period anyway. Yes. But I was kind of hoping things might be calming down a little bit.
0: Well, you know, I mean, it kind of does depend on, on who you ask. I mean, technically, uh, like, I'm, I managed to make it through work without, like, I don't know, feeling like I was going to stab somebody. So I feel like oh, that, that's...
2: that's good. Right. I like how you, I like how you emphasize feeling. Yeah. Do you threaten people with that nonetheless even though you didn't feel it? Is that what you're saying?
0: <laughs> I I was saying yesterday I, f- I was feeling it but I wasn't threatening it. So, yeah. I clearly I it would be great if I just sort of turned into the dead-eyed type that's like, do you want me to stab you? Do you want me to stab you? <laughs> exactly. Is is that what we're going with this? Are we going <laughs> to stabbing?
2: Because I don't want to, but if you if you if you're asking to be stabbed, I can stab you.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, Graham. I would say I'm I'm busy, but holding it together. um, You know, I'm. I. But let's face it. On another level, I'm. I'm just like Marvel's digital trade sales at Comixology and Amazon. Nobody knows how I'm still going on at this point, And nobody knows.
2: It, it just, nobody knows why it's happening. Why it's happening. How it's happening. Yep. How long it's going to continue for. Yeah. When's it going to stop? That's really, pretty much what, what people what's ask. What's it all about? Another question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that, that would be great. Yeah. It's a question for Marvel. What's it all about? Uh, yeah. I'll be.
0: <laughs> Is it just for the
2: moment that you live?
0: Oh, my God, Graham. I'm so glad that I've done 200 plus episodes with you because you did not sing a lick during the first.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 come on. And it's a shame because I can't sing. It would be great if I could sing. And then people <sighs> would be like, oh, it's a musical split. And as it is, they're like, oh, no, Why not? It's, I know. But look at it this way. I'm entertaining all of you with how bad I am at singing.
0: Well, it. I don't know, but I'm uh,
2: bringing up the the what's it all about, Alfie, which yeah. I think everyone would agree is a classic song.
0: It, you know, it is a classic song. It is a classic song. I, um I don't think I've ever liked it, but it's what? I admit. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. You've not it heard it's. the right versions,
2: obviously. I that's probably. True. Yeah. What's that? Clearly, you've now. I say that I'm like, who does the versions I like, and I'm like David McCallum, and I can't think of what the who does the other version. Charles it doesn't Conker. matter. You you can have your own tastes, Jeff. You don't like Walter Simonson on Fantastic Four, and uh, the people on the internet say that we're ruining fun. <laughs> Has, has there been more comments of the ruining fun ilk? I haven't. Oh, no, there was, there was one that just came in today. Mm. Uh, I should say that we're, uh, one as we we're recording like, just a couple of days after that, Back to the Building went live actually for That's a change. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we got, I, I sadly can't find it, which is really annoying.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but there someone in particular was like, intellectually, I, I, I can see your complaints and I think they're valid, but emotionally, why do you hate fun? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know there really is something to that. I mean, you look at the Simonson and stuff, and it's like shooting off big guns on an alternate planet to take out nuclear it, war, also, and I, steampunk Joseph Stalin, and dinosaurs, and time travel, I, I can't and if
2: I said this. During the recording or before the recording last time, mm. but I also think it depends on when you read read these comics. Because like I read these comic, I read those comics. We're talking about the Simonson on Fantastic Four, which is three three seven through three five five, I think. Um, but I read those comics when I was like thirteen and fourteen. Mm-hmm. You no, know? mm-hmm. and that's the wait. My math is horribly wrong. Fourteen and fifteen, um, and that's when. Like th- that; those are great comics when you're
0: that age. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's enough surface dazzle. Yeah. I and well, see, this is it. This is this is this is my I, and, my and problem read, is yeah. But hmm? when you read things
2: when you're a kid, you not that you're blind to their faults, but it's almost like the faults don't matter. The faults adds to it somehow. Oh, and You're completely. like, oh, I love that. Do you know right. what I mean? The people yeah. are like, yeah, but if you look at it, like the blood goes nowhere or, or blah 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 um, and but you're like, oh, but still. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can remember the emotions I felt feeling it. Uh I actually had to, like the inverse of this experience just last night. Really? Um, I was reading uh, a collection of Grant Morrison's Judge Dredd. Mm. He did a story in like shit the mid nineties at some point called Inferno, which is a twelve point a twelve point story. Mm, right. Uh, he, and, he and Mark Miller were essentially sub-editing 2008. Right. Was, was the, yeah, it
0: was the the whatever it was called, the Summer of Some, Hell summer or Summer Offensive. Summer, of, yeah, summer, right. offensive, uh, summer offensive, yes.
2: Um And like Big Dave came from then, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a series of genuinely forgettable strips. Otherwise, but Morrison took over Judge Red for that period, mm-hmm. and he did something which, bizarrely, uh, Mark Miller does a prologue to this strip, and then Morrison does Inferno. And really hilariously, reading it, I realized two things. One, Rob Williams basically ripped off the idea, but nothing else beyond the idea, for Titan. Hmm. The, it's Dread's story from like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, because the the prologue and the, the Inferno are literally uh, prisoners from Titan, escape, get focused on Judge Dread, come to Mega City, want to destroy it, and punish Dread. Mm-hmm. Like literally the plot of both stories. Hmm. Well, uh, sorry, not Titan, uh, but uh, Enceladus. Yes, thanks. It, I was about it, to it, say, I'm like, that's not the plot of Titan.
1: <laughs> no, no,
2: Enceladus the sequel. Oh, okay. I think all of them is like one thing, because the collection's called Titan. Got it. Um. Uh, but thing number two is reading this again, I mean, I remember it being slight when I read it, but still enjoying it. reading mm-hmm. it again like Morrison is literally going for the barest bones plot imaginable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, there's literally no reversal in the plot at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it it is. You know, guy. You know, Titan uh, prisoners attack. Everyone's forced out of the city. Judge Red goes. I'm going to go back and take the city back, and proceeds to go back and take the city back. Right. Right. That's it. Hmm. Right? And Morrison isn't even doing anything particularly interesting inside the six-page uh episode format either.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: He's really going, like, he's like, this is Meat and Potatoes comic. You go from point A to B to C. Right. Done. And you have... He's got an especially glib dread, which speaks very much of action movies of the 90s, but just not dread. Right. You know, like, at one point, uh... And I, I'm theoretically spoiling it, but again, this comic's, you know, 20 years old. Um... A character gets run over by the lawmaster repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, dread goes. What's the problem? Feeling run down, right? And it's just so not dread,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so 1990s action movie, and also so dread if you don't really pay attention to dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You're like dread, like dread's funny, and it's an action story. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, right? You know. Dread is the guy who does the quips after the violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it, but I really had that moment of, I read this when I was younger and I liked it more and I have this, not even nostalgia as much as recognition Mm -hmm. moment. You know, where you're really like, I I remember this, I know this, I, like, I could tell you where I was when I read these comics, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously going, but these are bad. These are just these are just bad comics. Like Carlos Isgara is doing the Lord's work trying to make it work.
1: hmm
2: mm-hmm. Really is. But you really get the feeling that Morrison the, the joke about one of Morrison's trips of Summer Offensive really and truly was that basically he took a load of ecstasy and wrote an entire uh twelve part series in an afternoon.
1: Mm.
2: Right? And you honestly get the feeling that like he's he spent as much time on the dread. Mm-hmm. That he was literally like, okay, I'm just gonna crank this shit out. Like, I'm also writing Invisibles at the time. He's right. probably preparing to Justice League in terms of like, because it was it was mid '90s, it was that period. Um, and I could totally see him be like, yeah, I said I was gonna do a dread, whatever.
1: Right. right.
2: You know, it, it doesn't matter because it's it's another one where it works if you're doing the action movie version of dread, but mm-hmm. it doesn't work with dread strip at all because he basically like kills off millions of people in Mega City One again. And I don't I don't know if that was ever mentioned ever again. Right. But like a virus comes and it outright kills people and then they go, we've got the antidote, but we don't have enough antidote for the citizens. (laughs) And like that's the waka 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 punchline, you know. But it's also just, wow. You know, like this is, this should be a bigger deal. This should be a thing. Or, Or the editor shouldn't have let him do it. One or the other.
0: Well, considering he and Miller were the editors, I think they were. Yeah, I don't know how in, how much, in that regard.
2: Yeah, right. I, don't, I don't know how much the editors were actually editing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it was like Morrison and Miller were like, "Oh, oh we're going to come in and be loud and laddish," or if the editors really were like, "Oh, you commission everything, like you do the whole shebang." Right. right. Either way, like it's a, it's it, it was one of those comics where, like, I read it and I was like, I I like I remember being in the living room of my parents' house and reading these comics, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, it was it was the summer, and this you know, I I was sitting in the front room, and I could tell you exactly where I was when I read these comics, and also being like, but these are just bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I don't realize quite how bad this was, right? You right. know, yeah, and and I I think it, in a weird way, not that the Fantastic Four thing is really similar in that respect, but it also kind of is mm-hmm. because there's an element of oh these are much worse than I thought they were,
0: right. Yeah, which I get. I mean, again, because I was sort of because I'm the Antichrist. I was just like, mm. exactly. terrible. Yeah, are- exactly. Well, but I think there's also some things that that I'm I'm really willing to to let it speak to my own weaknesses. I mean, when when Simonson stuff was coming out. I saw some of the issues and some of them I thought were okay. You know, the first four parter that he kicks it off with, I think I read most of those parts, Um, but as they were coming out, but, but there's also just kind of a thing. And I, I do think that it's me being pedantic is as, as a dude who sort of was a Marvel guy, first and foremost, kind of in the 70s like Simonson is is basically operating at the opposite end of that spectrum you know what i mean like he's he's practically kind of like i was saying in the episode the ff stories that we went through are are almost closer to being like silver age dc stories you know mm-hmm. and i think actually one of our our commenters um did point out that that you know Simonson's really not doing much more than signposting, um, subplots or presenting who the characters are, you know, because he, because maybe the FF or, you know, more or less that whole path has been run or he doesn't have any interest in really continuing it. But he, you know, he sort of flags it. And meanwhile, you've got this absolutely amazingly stellar art, you know, but for, for me, um, where so much of the Marvel that I love is almost the opposite, where it's like, you know, Sal Basima, I love Sal Basima, but, you know, the dude doesn't have what you would think of as Simonson-level cartooning chops or design chops. You know what I mean? Like, he he's kind of a meat-and-potatoes dude, and I sort of grew up during meat-and-potatoes Marvel where it was like, you know, if Howard Chaikin popped up, it was because he, you know, was trying to get work for them and was getting like one issue of Monarch Starstalker or like <laughs> Dominic Fortune or something like jammed in the corner of, you know, some, some, uh, anthology title. But, but the, so, so, but the, the, the illusion of character depth and progression, which was so much, uh, kind of at full four. For the books that I remember, it's just likely that I'm the wrong kind of fanboy. I can see people, it, I, 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 you know, am probably hugely wrong, but it wouldn't surprise me if like more quote unquote DC kids liked Simonson's run there on the well, FF, you know. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind, I am a DC kid. Well, and that's, that is probably part of how I sort of patch it together, but I also am thinking of like, Again, you know, Simonson's really genuine wit, uh, watching him sort of, and I think, who knows, maybe the weird part is, is if, is that if something's going to be kind of light and breezy, it helps to me if it's, you know, it's also got like, I don't know, gym apparel art or something like that, where it's kind of, um... I don't want to say easy on the eyes, but I guess maybe just not too challenging. You know, again, Jim Aparo is amazing, is an amazing cartoonist and I love what he and Bob Haney do on Brave and the Bold. But he also, um, you know, it also looks pretty easy for what it is. You know, it's kind of what, like, what do what you mean easy? Easy for the reader? Easy for yeah, the reader? I think easy for the reader to digest. And Apero, uh, Apero has his, Storytelling charms, you know, he's got his his figure ticks. Like, if you, if I, you know, if I say Batman looks startled, you totally know what that looks like in Oh, sure, in a pair. Yeah. you know, it's yes. it, it's like if if you show someone if I say someone gets shot or Batman backhands a thug, like all of those things, like it's very easy to conjure those up because sort of like. You know, from issue to issue to issue to issue, he's kind of, he's drawing from the same angle, he's drawing at the same sort of level of consistency, and that just kind of maybe helps get it over the transom easier for me. Like, Simonson is doing stuff that's not, you know, his stories, the plotting and things are the opposite of complicated, but it's clear that... The amount of time that he puts into some of the pages to really make them work, uh, you know, is is it's it's not easy or even even the way that he can pare things down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you told me to describe a, like I can think of a Simonson page in my head. But it has a lot to do with the panel layout, and it has a lot to do with maybe the line work or the contrast with the blacks. But I couldn't mm-hmm. necessarily tell you how that's going to look, you know, um, as clearly as I can for apparel. I mean, oh I sure, guess yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, and then,
2: but it's it's like okay, so let's go into a comic I know you've read recently. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you were just reading The Masters of Kung Fu, right? The Masters of Kung
0: Fu? Right, right. Now, did you read that as a kid? Uh, I did. I did. Absolutely.
2: So, so, I, I'm super curious how it was as a reread for you. Not in terms of, like, how the comic was quality-wise, although that as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I talked about when I was reading this Judge Shredd thing, and I simultaneously had, I had this really weird distant experience of, I remember this, and I remembered this much better. And I feel weirdly um upset
0: mm-hmm.
2: by the, by being wrong in how I remembered it if that makes sense
0: right right
2: um oh, so yeah. how how was that, how was that experience for you like did you have memories of these comics, and did it
0: live up to the memories first uh i i well a couple of caveats that are that that should be mentioned is is that listeners. <laughs> Since I feel obligated to mention this every 20 minutes, you can pick up the, uh, first epic collection of Master of Kung Fu, uh, digitally at Comixology or Amazon. God knows, maybe not by the time I post this episode, but as we record it for 99 freaking cents. So,
2: did I? I, I just want to interrupt for a second. Did I tell you that I actually ended up writing a story for Wired about this? Um, because no. Wired asked me.
0: No, you didn't not, tell not, me this. Not
2: even to say like the story behind, but mm-hmm. literally they were like, have you seen the sale that's going on on Amazon right now <laughs> for Marvel collections? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, can you say what people should spend $20 on? Oh my
0: God. That's like people genius. read
2: Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And so literally it's like, hey, have you seen these characters in movies? These are the comics you should buy. Right. Um, but it's, it's insane. It seems to be, at least on Amazon, I don't know if the same is true in Kindle. The last six months worth of Marvel collections are 99 cents each.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which is, I mean, today as we record, if for the, I think, third or fourth week running, the new collections are 99 cents as well digitally, yeah. including the Jim Sterling, Allen Davis, uh, Thanos graphic novel, which yeah. is all original material. Yes. And is $19 cheaper
0: yeah. digitally. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, the there is, right. Again, what the fuck? There's just some crazy ass shit there that we will never be able to figure out because it is, you know, like I said, I, 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 and as people point out, like, this is technically sort of after the end of the quarter, you know, where it's like for a lot of us who'd been doing the kind of long running, um, like, oh, we're going to, uh, how, you know, this is just something that Marvel's doing to prop up uh its unit sales on some spreadsheet somewhere, it's kind of like or is it? Why is it still going on now? So, I, I feel I, like it, at this it's point... It's been going on for so long yeah. part of me is like, is this just what the way it is now? Like, I, is right, this the new reality? Right, right, which would be insane. I mean, that would genuinely be insane, but it would be amazing to see, like what that would Mean or what that would be like. I mean, part of the thing is, I it's like I feel sort of guilty. Like I'm like I got five bucks. Why don't I just gift this goddamn Master of Kung Fu collection to like, you know, five people. It's five you people. Know. Yeah.
2: Right. You know, it's, it is it is absolutely insane. Because I, I was so I'm I'm looking through the the Marvel collections to come up with this list, and there mm-hmm. really is this moment where you're like, I've read this comic. Like I I've read it. It's all available on Marvel Limited. Right. But it's 99 cents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, pe- like, you know, I can't, I can't get a coffee for 99 cents. Well,
0: no, you really, there's, there's so few things that you really can get for that amount of money. And I mean, I've mentioned this before as a Comixology Unlimited member, I get like a 15% discount. So it's technically 84 cents, which at that point drops it below the level of just about the cheapest thing that you can think of to buy. That isn't like you know twenty five cent and penny some, candy, you know. And
2: some of these comics are big as well. Well, yeah, I mean that's you know that's that's another six. It's not like it's yeah. I don't even want to say like a six issue trade because six issue trades are still you know fifteen sixteen dollars from Marvel. Yeah, yeah. But
0: when you look like at like the, the Peter David Epic Hulk collections that are like four hundred five hundred pages of what? material, you know, it's insane. Yeah,
2: it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Although, some, also, uh, one of the ones that was released today is, uh, like, retelling of the first Star Wars film, as in, like, A New Hope, mm-hmm. um, through Marvel's variant covers. <laughs> uh, and I, I'd like, that is obviously 99 cents, but it's meant to be, like, 1999. And I, I was looking at, I was like, that's not worth 19. Like, 99 cents is right for that. Right. right.
0: Do you
2: know what I mean? Like, who would actually pay full price for that comic. Right.
0: No, exactly. I mean I, uh, but
2: but at the same time like you have these other things where it is like, you know, 500 600 pages. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 um the complete vision by Tom King and and uh oh, good Christ Gilbert, right? Right? And Walter yeah. Also has the back matter material from the the reissue. Mhm. Mhm. Yes. So it's got like a, it's 12 issues plus 12 issues of back matter. Oh, sorry, 6 issues of back matter. Right. Right, which is insane.
0: Yeah, for ninety nine cents. Yeah, I mean, it's just astonishing. And again, part of me feels like, like I should partially Johnny Appleseed this. Like, not so much in a like, oh, I should give this to my other comic buying buddies, you know, to persuade them to like leave the comic shops and collapse the direct market, but like, just. Like buy copies, cause, cause of that sense of like people who occasionally pick up graphic novels and sort of want to know what they're about. Like I know about five to 10 people like that. There's no, and, and the vision is a really good book. And part of me right? is kind of like it, I feel like I feel, part of me feels like I should be more of an insane Johnny Appleseed than, than well, I've been. You know, cause... I,
2: I, but I completely agree with you, cause The Vision is one of those books that will, as long as people can read comics, and I'm not saying that in a glib way. No. Because right. I think reading comics is genuinely a skill, and mm-hmm. it's a skill that we don't think of as a skill, cause we've been doing it all our lives. Yes. But it genuinely is, if you've never read a comic before, and I've had these conversations with people recently, yep, yep. if you've never read a comic before, you can genuinely not know how to read a comic. Yep. Yeah. Um. but if people can read comics, uh, but, and they're, curious about things but don't really want to read like you know spider-man or superman or like the the traditional superhero comic right vision is perfect yeah vision is a perfect entry point yeah 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 no you exactly. know and, and that is like 99 cents and you just be like hey would you like to read this like it's it's a complete story in and of itself mm-hmm. it doesn't tie in with any other comic you get the full reading experience and then at the back you can see how they did it
0: yeah right like i mean that just seems like such an amazing starter set for someone who maybe read some comics and wandered away or someone who like picks up like you know like reads the reads douglas woolks column you know in the nyt when it pops up and wanders into a comic store like two or three times a year you know trying to find something it's just like give them this and see what happens you know so i and part of me is kind of like like I can't help but look at it as this crazy, weird, short-term experiment in in greed on somebody's part that could have, like, horrible long-term ramifications for the direct market, possibly, but might also just have this very weird kind of, like... I don't, you know. Part of me is like, I don't know. Maybe I should buy a couple, you know, the the get the Squirrel Girl volumes at eighty four cents a pop, you know, gift them to my niece, and if she's not ready to read them for another two or three years, like in theory, they're not going anywhere. And if something happens and I lost three bucks, like out of the whole deal, it seems I don't know. So it, it it's just crazy, isn't it? Um, and I didn't mean to dodge your question, but uh, so. So the thing that I think is sort of the most appropriate to say is is that the epic collection for Master of Kung Fu, which collects um, basically the special Marvel edition, which is the title of the book um, before Master of Kung Fu shows up. Uh, 15 and 16. Then it gets titled. The book gets changed to Master of Kung Fu. Collects 17 through 28, as well as Giant Size Master of Kung Fu 1 through 4, Giant Size Spider-Man number two, and Iron Man Annual number four, which will be really interesting when that comes along. Um, I, I I
2: have the strangest feeling. I know why that is because isn't doesn't Shang-Chi have a guest starring role in that? Yes. Because yes. I say that because I'm fairly sure. Cause I recently I was looking through Iron Man Annuals. Wow. <laughs> Don't ask me why, it literally it was one of those I'm on Marvel Unlimited, what am I going to read next moments? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they've not got a full, they have nowhere near a
0: full selection of Iron Man Annuals, right. but that is one of them. Hmm. Bizarrely. Yeah, that, I, which makes sense to me. Um so, so I have to say that the stuff that I had read, the stuff that a lot of us love, quote unquote love for master of kung fu kinda of really starts toward the end of this collection or I think actually after this collection where Galacy is really kicks into high gear. He comes in really early actually in the title, which was surprising to me. Like uh Engelhart and Starlin literally create the co create the character and the first three or four issues are Starlin doing the art, Al Milgram doing the inks, and Steve Englehart telling the stories. And they're all, they they were tight dudes back then during the day, as I recall from uh, Marvel uh, Marvel the Complete Story or, uh, God, why am I blanking on it? Uh, Com- it's Marvel Comics The I think it might be the Complete Story. Is it the Complete Story or is it the Untold Story? By Sean, man, I feel so terrible oh. that this, this is, Sean yeah, Howell. Sean Howe, yeah, there we go Thank you so much um, Sean House. It's the Untold Story. It's Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. There we go. <laughs> yeah, The Untold Story. Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Finally got it, the title, uh, because it's been years and I'm overdue for rereading. But he talks about, you know, he's got a section where Englehart talks about Starlin and Milgram and him basically doing drugs and Walking along the streets of New York late at night and, you know, choreographing fight scenes that they then go back and put in their comics. And this is kind of, this is that comic. That's literally sort of what they're talking about there. In fact, in like the second issue, they show up as assailants, um, Steve, Jim, and Al. All jump Shang Oh my god, Chi. that's hilarious. Yeah, and, and of course. It... Do they look like them? I, I'm, I'm assuming. No offense to Steve Englehart.
2: Or for that matter, Al Milgram. Yeah. Neither of them, I have no, I actually don't know what Jim Sterling looked like, but neither Englehart nor Milgram strike me as, uh, Physically imposing.
0: Well, that's it. None of them really do. And that's the, that's how you kind of suspect that it really does look like them. But it's kind of like, ah, oh, I got a shiv. And it actually, and the part that I think is really funny, since Starlin's drawing it, is uh, Shang-Chi basically, like, you know, does an amazing backward kick to Steve Englehart's head and then takes Al Milgram and, you know punches him three times and, like, throws him against a wall. And Starlin just turns and runs away, which I thought was, was really kind of funny as an artist for him to be like, "Uh, oh, no way, man, not for me, uh-uh. So, cute, right? But but I have to say, as a guy who loves uh Starlin and loves Englehart, the issues are pretty blah, you know? They're kind of, they set the template for things, and it's interesting... Watching, it, it feels like the most submerged I've ever seen Englehart be, which is probably a minus. Like I think he's like, you know, he talks about on, on his webpage how excited he was about the, about the book. Like he loved it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's, it's, um, the first issue isn't just written by Englehart. He colors it. Which is kind of weird too. Like
2: he he does that. I want to say for some of his beast issues as well.
0: Mm, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if he was like trying. Which to, which might even be contemporaneous. Actually, now that I think about he, it, that would make a lot of sense considering it's like 1973 or whatever when this stuff debuts. Apparently, uh, and but I, it's like I love Starlin, and it's interesting seeing um, Starlin's work on it because, perhaps unsurprisingly, like, Starlin's got that weird, like, like, like when I was young, I felt like all I saw was kind of the Kirby, but the older I get, the more I see more of the Ditko in him, you know, and so mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff there that's kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I, the, basically, even though it, everyone's, like, yelling out kung fu poses, or the captions describes it, say, what, you know, the dragon lightning thunder punch or whatever. They don't really look that different from the fight scenes from say Starlin's Captain Marvel at the same time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's thugs and people start to get overwhelmed and then he'll knock them all back and lots of, lots of bodies flying through space. But then in the third or fourth issue, uh Glacy comes onto the scene and immediately it's kind of just, just a, it's, it becomes one step closer to sort of what I know and love, but it's still kind of in a, um, uh, almost a natal state. Like it's kind of, and in part that's because Engelhardt's doing it, um, and even though there's not really much of a qualitative difference between him and when Moinch comes in, at least immediately, but there's an issue. It's funny you mentioned the sort of, um, you know, the nostalgia because there's a lot of like giant size master of kung fu's where it's Ron Wilson or Ron Friends doing the art. Oh, it's, it's gotta be Wilson. It's, Friends wasn't yeah, around at that point. Yeah, sorry. It's Wilson. I always confuse the two for whatever sad reason. But yeah, so Wilson does like the giant size uh, master of kung fu. I think maybe the first issue and he also does like some of the, the jump in issues and uh, like, Like, the series is so touch-and-go. Everything's sort of self-contained and kind of formulaic for the first three or four issues. Like, literally, I was thinking I would start a Tumblr of every innocent bystander who dies... In Master of Kung oh, oh Fu, please. Cause do. It, it's such, it's, oh, please, please, please. Do. The the best one, it may not, it, you know, maybe they move away from the trope, but it's never going to get better than, and again, Ron Wilson drawing this, there's a scene where, um, Shang-Chi, uh, Breaks into basically marine land because of course he does, and it's after dark, and he's waxing philosophical. Anyway, he makes friends with the dolphin, and then the assassins come to kill him, and of course the dolphin dies. Like it's amazing that the dolphin. <laughs> That's so great. It's it is awesome. It's like I can't they, believe that. Like part of me is like they must tone this down after the fact because they're they can't top that as a trope, you know. But up until tell you about
2: douglas wolk's hilarious uh fanzine from emerald city
0: no
2: douglas hulk was giving away these fanzines because you know he's been reading like all of the marvel universe comics yeah all all the marvels yeah um he had this fanzine which is a collection of panels where like clearly there's mass destruction but someone even if it's the narrator is saying it's such a great thing that nobody (laughs) dies <laughs> like, buildings are collapsing. It's so great that that building was unoccupied. Like, there's big nuclear explosions. It's so wonderful that that explosion was safely contained. Like, it was just so many of them. And it's, it, but it really does make you go, oh, that's such, that is such a trope. Right. Like, I, I, and you see it all, you remember it, but you don't think about it when you're reading it. Right. And so that's why I'm like, Jeff, please, please,
0: please right. do. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Get that sort of thing going. Um, so Galassi is interesting, because of course, Galassi, like, you've got you've you've got uh, Starlin who basically has this you know his uh, his his style that he sort of develops by basically trying to uh crossbreed uh Kirby and Ditko and then you get Glacey who is kind of like um you know strongly influenced by Steranko to put it mildly like there's stuff yeah. where Steranko like,
2: Steranko was two dimensional
0: yeah right <laughs> you know just just I'll just destroy amazingly flat mhm mhm- yeah no i i well and and that's it, glacie's fascinating to me in that sense of he does stuff where he's doing these like fight scenes, um which on the one hand look awesome but also have this weird like. The anatomy is kind of fucked up, which is not what you would expect for a kung fu thing. So it's like, but Colasys'
2: anatomy is at best not good. R- yeah, exactly. Like really, really, his his anatomy is is at times just downright shit. Which is amazing,
0: right? Because you would think that it would be like this is this is not the book where you've got to f- fuck up the anatomy, but but the combination of the storytelling and the i don't know just just essentially the vigor you know like the the stuff here is sort of pretty slipshod but i know that it ends up picking up you know going to the next level pretty much to, at, after the end of this collection but like one of the first issues it's maybe the second issue that he does is where swamp thing meets uh sorry yeah um uh it's man thing meets master of kung fu and shang chi has been uh drugged on fu manchu's boat which he's barely escaped from in the previous issue uh and so he wanders does he know
2: pain by the, uh, does he know fear by that point
0: uh see this is the thing about shang chi is he is he's drugged out and he's being stalked by two assassins who have followed him onto the shores so and he ends up meeting a dude who pretty much is supposed to, I think, be a lookalike for David Carradine uh, from Kung Fu, who's the guy who's basically issuing him all these philosophical challenges while he's fighting to survive from these assassins and not sure what's real and what isn't. And in fact, the David Carradine character, you're not sure whether or not he is or is not a... um a real dude, basically, but there's a beautiful image where Shang-Chi shows up against the man thing, like, is drugged, runs and does a flying kick through the man thing and gets stuck halfway through. And so he's kind of hanging there, like, <laughs> half in, half out. And Man-Thing's basically just, like, standing there, like, not knowing what the fuck is going on. So, And then what's beautiful is the David Carradine character grabs Shang-Chi by the feet and pulls him through Man-Thing. And it's so, I, like, reading it was such a visceral shock of, like, oh, my God, I remember reading this comic repeatedly and looking at it and kind of uh, like very much getting what you're saying. It's like, I don't, I think that's the thing about when you read comics, when you're a kid is you just don't have enough knowledge of the world to necessarily know if what you're seeing is technically good or bad. You know what I mean? Like I don't,
2: yeah, very much so. Like I have, I th- I think I've said this before. One of my earliest memories is reading an issue of Super Friends. Mm. Um and I've since bought that issue of Super Friends again. Mm-hmm. And it's not good. Mm-hmm. But but there is that visceral electricity from it. Right. You know, cuz you're like I didn't I didn't know any better. Well, I I like this right. was exciting to yeah. me. Yeah, so I mean,
0: yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, exactly. It's it's this weird, and maybe this is why if you have this moment, it really you do get hooked in comics for a long time. But it's it's basically like unconditional love, you know, like because it is like you don't care whether it's good or bad. You're just fixated on it. Like I don't know, you know, when you see small kids. Um, play with stuff and, you know, hanging around my nieces. It's really interesting. Doesn't as happen as much with the eight year old, but the six year old can still just get fixated on objects. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah. just
0: like a clown nose or like a pen or something. And they just grab it and are drawn to it in a way that they can't they couldn't really explain. But, you know, is going to kind of stick with them. And so sometimes there is that stuff where the stuff that sticks with you in comics really does it either transcends good and b- good or bad, or it it throws a switch in your brain like you know that it's you have to process it somehow, but you kind of can't, and you're you just fixate on it right so yeah, exactly so and
2: you, and especially when it's a comic yeah and maybe this maybe this is me projecting, but I remember. The experience of like being a kid and reading a comic and just reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it and yeah. reading it and just obsessing about it. Right, right. As, as some sort of like weird uh, totem. Mm-hmm. You know that like it, it almost transcends the story it's telling after a while. Yes. Because you're rereading it to get Particular emotions, particular reactions, but also just to revisit particular scenes. Like the overall narrative doesn't matter anymore. Yes. Because you're reading like Swamp, th- uh, Shang-Chi being pulled through man thing. Mhm. Or, you know, you're, you're reading. I'm, I honestly can't even remember the plot of the, the Superfriend story beyond the fact that the global guardians are in it. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a, a point where I want to say it's Batman and Copperhead. That I think I might be making Whatever the, uh, snake Oh, is it Cobra? Glo- Do you think it's Cobra? Like- no, no, there's a, there's a snake-themed member of the Global Guardians.
0: Oh, okay, right.
2: Uh, and I, uh, for some reason I want to call him Bushwhacker, and I think I'm totally making that up. <gasps> um this is, member- is this the
0: same issue with, like, Tasmanian Devil and, like, the, yes, the other yes, characters? Yes, yes, Oh my god. Yes. yes, yeah. See, you, you, Bushmaster. Huh? Bushmaster. Bushmaster's.
2: Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. Uh, and... But he teams up with Batman and Robin, and there there's like panels I remember from that. And like I said, I don't remember the rest of the blood. I don't know why he's teamed up with them. Right. But I can remember the artwork really clearly even now. Right.
0: Was that Nick Fury
2: you know, stuff? Or was that? No, no, that I, I want to say it's Ramona Fraiden.
0: Oh, sorry, that's what, what I meant, Ramona Fraiden. Right, Ramona Fraiden did some amazing work on that.
2: You know? she, yeah, she she. If nothing else, there was a. a uh, showcase collection, a black and white showcase collection of like the first 20 issues. Oh yeah. And that right. is, that's a must get for art fans. Yeah. Because Freyden does, I think, all of the issues with the exception of there's an Alex Toth drone backup. Yeah, right. Right. And, Which well, is and like, they've and got the tote designs made. and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's
2: yeah. just like, oh shit. And because it's all black and white, it's Alex them black and white. And you're just like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's, it's just, just beautiful. So yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. see, and that's it. There, There is that weird stuff where it's kind of, where some of that stuff does sort of hold up. Like, Bless his heart, like reading, reading the Ron Wilson stuff, I'm like, I've got a fondness for Wilson and for these issues, but it, but it really doesn't seem to knock me, it really doesn't seem to, to strike me the same way that Glacey does, you know? So, mm-hmm. it's, and so anyway, to bring it back, in a way, part of me is like, I can see where the Simonson stuff totally feels, um if you come across it young enough, and I think honestly, even old enough, there's, there's a way in which Simonson really is kind of making the book look dynamic. Um, as I think one of our commenters said in a way that it really hadn't been practically since Kirby, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I think, and, and I don't, that's my problem is, is I, part of me feels like I should not poo poo that when we talk through Baxter building stuff, but it, but it may also just be, um, it may be that Simonson is literally the most wrong person to follow Steve Englehart on a wrong uh, on a run of comics, or maybe vice versa. You know what I mean? Because it, it was well, he's a,
2: he's such a different
0: writer. Yeah. Um.
2: And Englehart got into a, a very particular groove, even when he is basically, you know, self not even self pirating, but pirating Marvel with using Marvel characters. Yeah. Um. Okay. the that. Simonson's writing is so very, very different. But to go back to you saying you know, you feel that you're shortchanging Simonson's art, that's not true at all. We talk about Simonson's art to a degree that I think we've not talked about anyone else's art in Fantastic Four, with the possible exception of Kirby, and I think we might be talking about Simonson's art more. Yeah, yeah, I think that's
0: probably true. Well, I don't know. It's tough because there's definitely stages where we were – downright cooing over Kirby's art but but you know it just be, by dint of Kirby having such a longer run than than what Simonson's going to end up with but well, exactly like i think we talked about
2: Kirby especially when zenith showed up mhm um but i think we then didn't really mm-hmm. you know and and simonson bear in mind simonson has an infinitely shorter run like he does a tenth of the issues kirby does yeah right but but we've talked about Simonson's art so much more.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know? Is, well, that's is, true. That's in true. In part yeah. because I think we are disappointed in the writing.
1: Well, I uh,
0: yeah, right.
2: And, and also in part because the balance has shifted so much in the book that mm-hmm. for the first time since Kirby left the book, it's become an artist-driven book.
0: Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny to say that because, of course... A visually driven book. Yeah, I mean, because I feel like, of course, Burn Burn had some very is is of course came in as an artist, but he he really came in with you know things to prove as as a writer, you know, yeah, and
2: I, I think he really really pushed on the writing in a way that like Simonson is.
0: And also I think there is a thing of, you know, Byrne also considered himself a professional's professional and it was super important that the trains ran on time. And so, you know, there, you would have a book that would start off looking great and then just kind of become, you know, completely, Mundane by the end of it, you know, like some of, some of, uh, burns like, Oh, I'm having the FF travel through the negative zone. Like some of his big ideas, it'll result in a great splash page or it's like, Oh, hey, I'm turning this sideways. But at some point, it always kind of ends up being like burn drawing like, you know, four pages of talking heads to, to, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, push forward his. You know, ambitious but boring ass plot, you know, so.
2: Now, at the risk of turning this into like Baxter building part two, cause we should really stop talking Seriously, about- Seriously, I'm impressed. I'm uh, like, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, Sky commented on, on the, the most recent post that we have spent years talking about why don't people do the Fantastic Forest a science fiction comic, and now that someone is doing the Fantastic Forces science fiction comic, we're like, yeah, but he's not getting the characters right. That's, <laughs> that, that actually struck me as true.
0: Yeah, As well, it
2: is like what it really comes down to is we'd like a balance of both, please.
0: I I think I think there's a lot to be said for a balance of both, and I think the other thing that is tough is that, with the exception of the his opening storyline, I don't think that Simonson is. I mean, he's he's they're science fictiony in a yeah, if you say so kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, a planet of dinosaurs does not have... Like, an island of dinosaurs, there's no... There's nothing like hard science there apart from, like, he's actually drawing anatomically correct dinosaurs. Like, he'll... Well,
2: but in theory, it's an island out of time that is vanishing, so there's, like, a time travel element.
1: Well, yeah. New Clusters
2: uh, is, like, is alternate worlds... And you know alternate histories, and I and I think you can make an argument to that science fiction as well. No, I, you I can, I, but I, I, that's I what think I'm think saying. I it's like, aren't, but
0: aren't those like really dull? Like, I mean, aren't those really kind of dull, derivative? Like, they're they're great excuses for him to draw what he wants to draw. And I mean, I don't think that, for example, Nukebusters and Nukebusters Two would have been great if there had been historical flashbacks showing like how the state of the world changed because you know the D- Disney built animatronic Stalin is is running the Soviet Union still no, I mean that's that's interesting because I agree
2: with you but I also feel that there is an entire audience out there that would love that
0: No I agree absolutely and I think so I think I think so too and honestly if it had been done, if it had been developed to that level, what we would have been looking at would have been something very different. Yeah. From, sure. you know, because, because when you get to it, it's kind of the FF running around in that parallel world. Like the changes are kind of minute, you know? They're sort of, it's enough so that everyone can kind of figure things out by watching TV, but it's not like, christ i don't I mean you know just for myself someone who doesn't pay any attention to this stuff like the way that the what the the way that things end up being posited in in uh in that alternate world is that because Stalin wins the war and crushes the offensive in Germany um basically it none of it we wouldn't have a space program if Simonson had had the world developed the way that it developed in the thing,
2: right? All the better for the FF to make their own rockets go up into space and get super see,
0: there you go. And it, and it probably makes, it probably makes sense at that point, but I don't know.
2: (laughs) I see see what you're saying. It's just, I think that I honestly think the sky's point is, is a good one. No,
0: absolutely. I just think, I just think that part of me is like, "Eh, it's, to me, it's also just, it. it's it's more of the approximation of truth than the actual truth. I mean, who knows? It would be interesting if we weren't, if we were going to go, and believe me, there's part of me that's relieved that we're calling it quits after volume one of, of 416, six, four, um, is that we're not going uh, no, to... Pe-
2: people are already suggesting what we should do next. Oh, I you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Or at that...
2: least asking. What's funny is that we have actually had discussions about what we would do next. You know, we don't. Did... I, I don't think we ever decided. Like, we came yeah. up with an idea that both of us were into, but I don't think we ever decided if we were definitely gonna do
0: it. No, you know, it's so funny. I was just thinking that today. Like, oh my god, we never- we talked about some of those ideas and, 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 and yeah, didn't decide on something. So, um 'cause
2: Because I was also like, do we just not do it and just do a third regular, wait
0: what? <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I know what you mean I, Part of me is... I, I, I yeah. You know what, what I'm opening this up to you Oh, there we go no, I'm,
2: not ask, I'm not asking you To suggest comics, although I'm sure All of you are going to But do we do a, a Read-through of another series? Right And I have very particular suggestions As Jeff knows mm-hmm. One in particular that we've definitely talked about And you seemed into
0: Oh yeah, which one was that? I totally forgot Oh no! Wait! Don't say it on. No, no, no! Say- <laughs> don't, do no, because it'll tip, I, uh, tip. Let's talk about it later,
2: right? Yeah. But there's there. Oh, but, or would you rather just have
0: a, a a third? Wait, what? I, you know, I think there's something to be said for the structure of of the Baxter building, you know, yeah. I, I yeah,
2: that that's where, that's where my head's at, but yeah. I'd
0: really be curious what other people think. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely chime in people. Um, I mean, keep in, keep in mind the closer that you can get to something that is easily available for us, the easier it is for us to seriously consider it. Like I don't. Well, you see, I see. I'm thinking of something that both of us already own, unless you have got rid of it. Oh, Jesus, Graham, you were being so vague now. Okay, well, <laughs> let, let's come back to this. Let's come back to this. Yeah,
2: there, was, there was something there at was, there was some point where you were gifted an entire series of something.
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes, that would be fabulous. I don't know if we would. Right? I think we'd probably polish that off in like half a oh, year we, or something, though, right? Yeah, we,
2: we definitely, if, if that, mm-hmm. it's not a long series, Yeah, but but it could be super fun. Yeah, that actually I, I, would be great. I, I, I think that, you know, I think that there's enough of what both of us really dig
0: in it
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, to make it really enjoyable. Yeah. Part of me, if I was a masochist, I, I would go back to suggesting the Engelburn episodes, you know, podcast where it's like, <laughs> we follow. People, people really like that idea. Yeah, that's true. Well, because it's, sure. it's kind of great because Engelhart and Burn really are such strange characters in the comics world and go such different places but they also span such a huge chunk of time that it'd be it'd be be really, it, and of course the problem is, for me is the burn. Englehart, I really am, even these first couple of issues of Master of Kung Fu, I'm like, yeah I don't know if there's anything I say this but as someone who never made it past issue 2 of Coyote, I'm like, I feel like there's almost nothing that Englehart could write that I'd be like, ah, I'm not really digging this. Oh, uh, yes, there could be. I'm For sure there is. Coyote. I don't doubt. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, Grant McMillan, we did a great job talking about the Baxter building and maybe just a little bit of Master of Kung Fu. Um, I. <laughs> I, I, I did want to, I mean, there's so much other stuff. Listeners, this, perhaps one of the things that's amazing is, is that, um, something that I never do is I actually gave Graham a list of topics. You did?
2: Mm-hmm. We, we had a, an email conversation earlier today where you gave me a list of topics. Let's, cause there's only about 10 minutes before we start going weird again. Yeah. Like that we have to call back because of the, the audio being weird. So let's knock out the super quick ones that you sent. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So right. I, I'm just gonna pick from the, your list. Okay. Uh, let's go with number seven first. Oh my god, the Justice League movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, actually what he says in his notes. Oh my god, the Justice League movie. And the reason I picked that is, you and I then talked about that in email, because you didn't like it, and you were hoping I'd defend it, and I admitted I remember nothing about the Justice yes. League movie. Yeah, this, this thing. Like, like, legitimately don't. I'm sure I would try and defend it. I definitely remember leaving it and thinking, that was just like Avengers. It was fine. Oh my God. Okay. So, which is funny. But you hated it. I, I, like, I, I, I really could, did. I can tell. I can really like, I could tell even from your tone in, in the emails. We were trying not to give it away,
0: but it was really obvious that you despised it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, okay. Admittedly, I was not seeing it in the best, uh, situation. I suppose, like, in the sense of, it was a movie that, uh, Edie and I were watching together. I don't remember if I got a little high beforehand. I, I think it's possible, but- I would say, I, I, that can only help, surely. No, because I, you would think, yes, that's where my thing is like, oh, this is gonna be so great. Um, but, but the thing is, is that, Being high, if it, if it fucks up your sense of time and you get a movie that's especially (laughs) tedious. I, 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 yeah, you're like, has this thing been going on forever? Yes, it literally was. (laughs) There were points where we just looked at each other and she was like, it's still happening. Why is it still happening? You know? Isn't just actually relatively short? Isn't it under two hours? Yeah, they, it's so, it's 119 minutes. I read that they oh, was just under two hours. <laughs> they, they were contractually obligated to bring in a cut under two hours and they brought it in at 119 minutes. So, uh, so the other thing that I think can happen when you're high is you begin fixating on things, um, like, how do I put it? Like you're, you're super hyper aware of things that suddenly seem tonally off in ways that normally <laughs> you just don't pay attention to. Right. Oh man. So just like was the worst
2: film in the world. Oh, in that case. Yeah. Because, That is not a totally consistent film.
0: Oh, it's so not. I mean, it's so strange in, like, one of the very first scenes. Like, so the the first scene, you've got Superman talking to some kids on a video cam. With
2: the the wonderful CGI mustache, which is really obvious.
0: Yeah. You know the thing that's interesting, though? I am 90% sure that the CGI mustache story was floated to make... to. More or less at Ben Affleck's to demand, to, to draw attention away from the fact that Ben Affleck clearly just got out of plastic surgery before he did, you know, the reshoots, and he hasn't fully healed up yet. There's oh, yeah. scenes... I was gonna say,
2: you can definitely tell when Ben Affleck is pre-reshoot and post-reshoot.
0: Yes! Yeah! Like in the same scene! Yeah, exactly! Cause all of a sudden, yeah. it's like his face will like, it's like one of those life rafts where you just tug the rope and suddenly it's like you know and and his eyes look That's weird like, mean what <laughs> I don't mean to be mean, I'm just literally saying his face is still swollen from plastic surgery, whatever well, Also, his, his changed drastically, which is oh, another favorite what, giveaway. what was up with that? There were points where it was just like why, why, why is this wig happening like and it was so impressively bad it was it was I mean and there was so much shit like that it was just like there were so many scenes that you could tell were reshoots because it was like you know Zack Snyder shot you know is like panning shot over a city with a panoply of buildings shot through a filter and then cut to Scene of Cyborg, I'm pretty sure is a reshot scene cause it's shot on like somebody's off-Broadway theater production set where he's in like a single fucking room and outside the window is the least convincing cityscape. You can practically see like <laughs> mice crawling up and down the skyline, you know? And it just keeps happening like that. You're actually making me want to rewatch it. You genuinely are. <laughs> Cram, that that is because that's a you're a lover, not a fighter, and B you're a DC person. Like there's kind of a thing. No, but... no, no, not not in a I I
2: want to watch it, and therefore then defend it to you. No, no, no.
0: But goodness. in a
2: like I wanted, like I I like I I it's not even that like I didn't notice because I totally noticed all this. But I was like, it's fine,
0: it's fine. Like I you, no, I, 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 like, and you rewatch it Now
2: I not, not want to rewatch it and be like, oh, this is not fine at all. It's not fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, like, I I really,
0: I, part of me really does want to rewatch it and be like, oh, this is terrible. That's right. (laughs) God, Graham, it's so bad. There's that, there's the, there's, so there's that opening sequence again that looks like it was made for about eight bucks where Batman is fighting a thief and then a parademon shows up that he has to fight and smoosh or whatever. And, and it's totally off. Like I read after the fact and believe me, I, this is totally what I was thinking while I was watching it. Whedon had written a, a comical Batman and burglar sequence and then the suits wanted it to to grim it up so like the the music just gets slathered on and they're doing all these weird dramatic cuts but like But, like, the burglar's literally doing this, like, huh? Like, he should be played by Tim Conway and or Don Knotts in their prime, right? While Batman's like, jumping around, doing backward flips and then talking to him like this. And then... I was gonna say, like, you
2: can't convince me that, like, that cut, because I actually remember that part of it. You can't convince me that cut was meant to be a serious cut. Because doesn't the burglar, like, spent half of it Basically, like, nested up being like, on another thing, what's the thing about parademons, am I right? He, he basically
0: is, that would be great though. What's the deal with these parademons? Uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's weird as shit, cause you listen, watch how they like, cut it and score it, and then there's that scene where Batman does a backflip, like, again, it's like so much of the movie, they're trying to kinda get it both ways, like, and I mean, It was weird how much the, the, like, because it's, again, it felt like it was clear they went back and did a lot of fan service. I mean, to be fair, I think part of the problem also is the fact that Whedon's brought in to do the reshoots, does the re-scripting, but it's clear that he's under such a, um, he's under such a time crunch. Like, you know how, like, Whedon kind of does that, like I would say that Ween's mo is kind of like he has like a really obvious thematic structure to whatever he's doing, and then he more or less has the characters riff on it or undercut it or draw attention to it.
2: Yeah, or point out he lampshades things.
0: Right, a lot. he lampshades like, as thing. a punchline. Yeah, exactly. And there's a but there's a ton of lamp shading that that happened, that, that Whedon doesn't even come up with any sort of way to undercut, where it's like, you're watching the movie and suddenly one character turns to another and says, this is what happened because Superman's not here, and it's just like, oh God! Like everything, it's clear that they came out of this checklist w- from some of the Zy- the Snyder screenings where people were like, "I don't understand why I should care about Superman coming back. Who cares?" You know.
2: Well, and- I, 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 once again, this speaks to me seeing all this and being aware of it, and also being like, "I don't care." Right. Um, <laughs> like, it's that's not Snyder stuff. Like that's clearly weed and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because there's so much stuff in Justice League that is not thematically consistent with the other films. And I'm not even saying that in the sense of like the other films were great and should be like everything, give me the Snyder cuts. But there's nothing in like Batman versus Superman that makes you think, Oh, so the world really ended up signing on to Superman and it's the worst place now that he's dead. Right. Right. Like No, exactly. It's just like what where where did this come from? Like where did the Everything went to shit after Superman died, thing come from, because the world was pretty shit when he was around. That's kind of the plot of Batman versus
0: Superman. Yeah. Well, see, and this is what I think is so hilarious. is is like they have to do that retcon. The other thing that's amazing is how crazily they retcon Steppenwolf and the whole tie into the fourth world stuff, which is clearly in, well, clearly, sure seemed in Batman versus Superman, that there were all these intimations that we were going to be building toward dark side, being the guy behind yes. it and, and all that stuff. And man, justice league is throwing water on that shit. Like nobody's business where Steppenwolf who again is boring, but will not shut up, which is fascinating. <laughs> he just gets up there and he's Sand like,
2: the is amazingly like bad as a villain. He's awful.
0: He's like, he, really got, terrible. I,
2: this, But what's really impressive is he does make Ares from Wonder Woman look better in comparison. Well, yeah. Because one of the, one of the flaws of Wonder Woman, which I really like as a film, is that the villain is just, is generic as shit. Right. Like the time he's like, "Ah, here I am, he's then like, now I'm CGI'd. Right. Let's have the fight that no one actually wants. Right. Exactly. Like, oh, like they've really, you know, this is, this is the problem. This is, you know, this is bad. And it's like DC were like, you know what? We can make that seem better in retrospect.
0: (laughs) I personally think that they walked out being like, well, that's the scene that works. That's clearly the stuff that really, that works for the fanboys. So you get Steppenwolf in there. And there is something that I think is actually really funny in the way that he is talking about the opening the portal to the fourth world and the new gods as as if they're loved, crafty, and demons, which I thought was kind of fun, but they go it to such great lengths to make it seem like, oh yeah, but Steppenwolf is not that, and the pair demons are his dudes, and
2: yes, exactly, he made the pair demons. Yeah, exactly. What is, is
0: funny question mark is that for some reason
2: Zack Snyder's talking about Batman versus Superman and Justice League a lot this week. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why. I, I maybe he's doing do an interview, or he's doing a Reddit thread, or something, but he. Apparently came out and said, you know that scene in Batman versus Superman where the Flash comes back from the future yes! and talks about Superman? Right. Um, like, Snyder came out, like outright and was like, yeah, it's almost as if someone from the dark side used a certain equation on on Superman. And it was like, oh, so you really were setting up dark side in the, the anti-life equation. Like, right. that was your plot. Right, right.
0: Yeah, no, but, exactly. You know, not, not anymore. Yeah, that's the plot. And then, and then it spins away from it. What I find fascinating though for me, at least as far as I could tell about Justice League is the stuff that I did like, which was, um, you know, I really do did like most of the Barry Allen scenes. I, and I did like Lobo, um, I th- I thought he was handled really well. I don't know why they kept putting him underwater, but I thought that that was actually one of the better, <laughs> like, interpretations of I, Lobo I I'd ever seen.
2: First, first second,
0: I really was like Lobo. <laughs> but I see what you did there. Exactly. But but there was shit where I feel like Snyder was kind of like the only stuff where where I felt like a this movie is moving toward interesting um or or I guess fully fleshed out was that Snyder seemed more interested in the idea of, or at least what remained of his scenes was really more interested in the idea of like trying to create the visual language and template for the Flash and Aquaman in the movies like it was very like he was way more there's and there's some of the scenes in the action scenes with the red sky stuff where it looks very visually full. Like there's something that I find fascinating about, about Snyder in the idea that the shit that he draws from, from his palette is stuff that could sort of make sense. Like, like for example, the whole Steppenwolf's origin, which has like, the Amazons teaming up with the Atlanteans, teaming up with the humans to use the mother boxes or whatever to defeat Steppenwolf and banish him. Like, you can almost see that being like a four, uh, two-page sequence in a Justice League thing drawn by Dick Dillon. You know what I mean? But, sure, yeah. But what's fascinating to me is that's not how Snyder approaches it. Like Snyder's like, yeah, I'm going to give out echoes to like the Lord of the Rings movie and like. Frazetta artwork and like there's just shit that's going on in his stuff which is fascinating to look at but like really moves so far away from from DC in such a weird way and so when you get someone like like Whedon who I think you know Given his own predilections, possibly and certainly when reinforced by I think DC and and their their list of of um, reshoot needs, tries to turn it back into something that's more recognizably DC and more fan servicey in ways that that somehow end up ringing kind of super false because again Snyder's crafting this shit like I would swear to God the biggest influence on Snyder for some of the action scenes in at least one action scene in Justice League is fucking Alan Moore's Miracle Man. Like, the scene where the League takes on Superman, you know, in his, like, topless but in his funeral pants has such a weird Miracle Man versus Kid Miracle Man feel to it.
2: That makes sense. It's because Zack Snyder worships at the altar of... Watchman and like Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. So Miracle Man is
0: 100% in his wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. And so it kind of, and it kind of led to one or two sort of like little cool moments. Honestly, the parts where I was like, oh, that was kind of cool but oh my what, god is I, I wonder how much of like that is reverse because i don't like that stuff
2: right or don't like it as much as you do right where you're like oh that was a cool moment and i'm like oh jeff that's one of the worst moments in the film right but that bit at the end where superman and the flash race that's great See, and you're like no and that's that the thing that's
0: hard i wanted to love that scene and they did not make me love that scene that scene was done like they're like okay but we got to do a scene where it's
2: clearly done like you know we are literally in the middle of the edit,
0: and yeah. we would like a, a
2: an end button to make audiences leave the theater feeling happy. Yep. Like,
0: why don't we call everyone
2: back in and see if we can get, like, just shoot this in front of the blue screen. Yep.
0: Yeah. No, I know, but consequently, and it was also kind of like, let's try and script this, but it was like the first time where it's like, Flash really doesn't have anything funny to say, and the whole, like, they're, again, and it's so purely fan servicey, there's nothing, At any point, where, as far as I can remember, where it's even led that this is something that either of them care about? Like, it's just weird. Sort of the same way that... It
2: makes makes no sense in the film at all, because, like, Superman's literally just come back to life, has just met the Flash. They don't have any really interesting interactions to that point, and then they're like, let's finally settle this. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're like, wait? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think someone might have pointed out when I was complaining about it on Twitter, and this kind of makes sense, is that all of the, the other problem is all the fan service that you see in Justice League that's set up for the fans that was probably worked in in the reshoots has already been covered in the DC TV shows, um, in a more organic and enjoyable way. Like, you know, there was already a Supergirl Flash race episode apparently that was really quite fun. You know, or you know they've had Deathstroke pop up. Man, I again that pivot of like, oh, there's going to be another Justice League movie, but uh, yeah, no Dark Side, no, no, it's going to be the Injustice Gang here. Let's get you know. Jesse Eisenberg and like the guy from Magic Mike, uh, who can barely take off that mask without like pulling off his fake ass, you know, um, eye patch and beard. That was so bad. It was so See, good, what, but it was so bad. Well,
2: but what's, what's really funny is you say that and I'm like, yeah, but look at Avengers, which introduced Thanos. And then six years later, we're finally
0: getting the Thanos story. No, but I, okay. I don't. I don't have a problem... Like, the Thanos thing was interesting to me because that was a weirdo deep cut that, like, me being me, I appreciated, but there were... Everyone who was watching the Avengers in the theater was confused, understandably. I mean, admittedly, that little bit of, like, here we're setting everything forward really kind of set everything back, Um, if you know what I mean, because people were like... Who's this character? I don't understand, like, what that, is that the Red Skull? We saw the Red Skull disappear into space. And oh, you see, I, no, I didn't see any
2: of that reaction.
0: I saw a lot of
2: people getting super excited and then
0: going, wait,
2: why is all, why is Avengers 2 not about that guy?
0: Right. Well, of course. No, they, they did some really goofy stuff there, but, for me, but I guess, I, I guess what I'm saying is like
2: that, that's why like the lack of dark side stuff, besides the fact that they'd obviously been like, we're actually trying to de-fourth world this film, please. Well, see, uh,
0: that's it. They, they were pivoting. They were, they were like, we're de-fourth worlding it and we're literally moving toward the Injustice Gang. Like we're, or whatever, the Injustice League, I guess, you know? Cause that's, that's of course literally what, you know, Lex says. And apart from me being kind of the, them being like, well, isn't it time that if they have a league, shouldn't we have a gang of our own? And, you know, kind of does the swell. And I'm like, motherfucker, there's like two supervillains on your goddamn planet. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, they just don't have anything set up. The whole idea that,
1: that,
0: that I agree
2: with you. But don't forget, Justice League happened when they basically introduced three characters. And they're like, oh, shit, and here's Aquaman, and here's Cyborg, and here's Flash. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing. We're just rushing the teams.
0: We'll see, and that's it. And I do think that the movie, like I said, when I want to be generous of it, toward it, I feel like rushing the teams, rushing the introductions of all these characters... Um, and then having Snyder exit and DC wanting to go in a different direction. There's, there's just no way, there's just no way you, you could come out with a good movie in that situation. But what they came out with was so, was so bad. I'm also fascinated by how much Ben Affleck, like literally, cause I didn't mind him in Batman versus Superman. I thought there were lots of ways in which I was like, you know, he's, he's, He's trying. I thought he was doing a good job. He worked okay <laughs> He's for me. Trying. Well, no, but I mean, he worked good. I mean, no offense to, uh, you know, uh, Henry Cavill, but it's like, it's not like you need a lot of star power to outshine that guy. You know, but like, Affleck Aww. was like, bring, I'm sorry. The, at do some not, point, I'll watch like The, man from, the man from U.N.C.L.E. See, yeah, this exactly. is it. The, everyone's like, go to The Man from U.N.C.L.E. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sure he's great in that. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him in Mission Impossible even. But at the same time, it's, he's at, he was at, he was clearly I I've got to him. tell
2: you, you, you and me are different on this. I actually find Henry Cavill much more uh, charismatic than Ben Affleck.
0: Okay. So be it. Well, let's put it this way. In Justice League, that's certainly true because Henry Cavill would just be. And again,
2: I, I say this as someone who thinks that Justice League is, uh, okay slash as good as Vendors.
0: Oh my God, right? Graham. Yeah. I, I, listeners, I really listeners, listeners please Bear take mind. to the comments. I, it's clear that Graham reads them. Please. If you agree with him, let him know. If you don't agree with him, <laughs> and I mean, I'm a okay, person who, Jeff, Jeff. I know that
2: I am alone in that theory. Oof. I, I know that. Okay, but bear in mind, I don't like Avengers, right? Or that's not true. I think Avengers is okay at best. See, I think Avengers is horrifically flawed. I even forgot where I was going with this sentence.
0: No oh, so sorry, Henry Cavill, Avengers something. Yeah, I
2: don't. I don't even know now. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to say um, it's really funny to me that Justice League is. Based around Batman and Ben Affleck could not seem more bored oh, <laughs>
0: throughout the entire film. It it it, <laughs> it it it's some weird level of like like bored slash contemptuous. Like I've never seen someone that has been like like if you've ever been like a little kid and had to go along on like uh be dragged along on like a date by your sister. Um, and the boyfriend is clearly <laughs> less than pleased that you were there. That is exactly the vibe that Ben Affleck gives off that, in that every amazing. possible way.
2: Amazing. Yeah, Jeff. I am. I, I honestly feel like we should leave our Justice League conversation there because I don't think we're going to get better than Ben Affleck is your sister's boyfriend who is pissed that you've been dragged along for the date. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that, yes. That's what really Also, I want to tell all the listeners very quickly before we move on. The champ did try and get me at <laughs> ten to three this afternoon
0: to rewatch Justice League before tonight. <laughs> and let's face it, Graham, you're kind of kicking just, yourself I, for I, not doing I, it now.
2: I, you know, but I love that. I I was like, I have work to do, and you wrote back in all caps. You have four hours to rewatch. <laughs> I love that so much. You have four hours to rewatch no punctuation. Oh yeah. Just first to rewatch in all caps. I think that's exactly exactly uh what the stone serves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think so. I think so. Like would you mean an you mean an all cap no punctuation email? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <yes. laughs>
2: like like uh you you will suffer with me. Yes. I will you Exactly. Three
1: you son I think of a I, bitch
2: and again I say that as someone who joined bear in mind I also enjoyed Suicide Squad when I saw it in the theater so I cannot be trusted
0: oh That is true because I have to say, Suicide Squad was the one that I sat down being like, "Oh, Graham Graham said that he enjoyed it. He thought it was a fun ride." You you hate like you you were angry at me. I really was because you like it it wasn't just that you set the bar too high. You just you tricked me basically. Justice League, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch this, but but I kind of walked out with it where I was like, okay. Graham has got to be aware that this is indefensible, which is great because you totally pulled the. I don't remember a thing about it. I don't know what we'll discuss. No, I, no, I like. I I honestly feel like I should
2: defend it because I I know that I liked it more than you. Right. But defending would honestly require me to remember more about this film than I do. Yeah, I totally. Get so it. I let's leave it as I would probably defend it, but at the same time, the fact that I can't remember a film I saw six months ago maybe suggests that I probably shouldn't defend it. <laughs>
1: Speaking
0: you of know, things that, that we we can't remember I did want to pivot and talk about metal number six um, do you remember it what happened I do remember it it's it's a
2: classic here's the thing <laughs> I honestly don't remember I, we've talked before about how I don't remember metal at all yes I don't remember like the end of metal but I remember the epilogue uh, in large part because I read the epilogue like four or five times because I was talking to so many people about it for work uh-huh the, it, like how metal wraps up I remember Batman teams up with the Joker,
0: and right. that
2: honestly, pretty much it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, there right, there's stuff it. that happened. Jesus, I forgot that part. Christ, you're right. But there you oh, go. Between the two of us, we can totally come up with the end of metal. I don't know. I think I'm I'm relying heavily on you because yeah, there's there is the scene where, well, is it it's 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 Batman and the Joker beats the bat the Batman who laughs right basically yes. right, and then. For for the, for one of those reasons
2: that is simultaneously terrible and yet maybe awesome, mm-hmm. which is what's the one thing that Batman would never expect Batman to do? Right, which is team the, up with the Joker. Team up with the Joker. The problem is, like that's a great uh, Bob Heaney mm-hmm. theory, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when you have that particular Joker, you're kind of like, but he wouldn't, right?
0: You know. Like, it, it, it works with
2: a different Joker. It doesn't work with that Joker.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a, there is a way of, I mean, I'm not even sure it, I'm not even sure this Joker, it works with this Joker. You know what I mean? Like, well, the, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it doesn't work with this Joker. Right.
2: Like, it, it explicitly doesn't because this Joker is still like the crazy psychopath who's like, haha, what if I pour acid in your eyes? Right. Uh, you know, for me, I'm like, well, that's exactly why Batman isn't going to team up team up with anyone. Yes, like, like, of course, like that's. To, but as a Bob Haney idea for Bob Haney's Joker, yeah, sure. Well, you it's know and exactly what's worse right. that Joker's going to do. Yeah, like he'll threaten someone with a gun, but then he'll be like, "Ha ha, it's chocolate," and well, then he will like punch someone with a boxing.
0: Well, right, exactly. There's that, or there's even I think the idea of the just the idea that that you would also similarly the older version of the joker is kind of is is sort of like the way like a lot of supervillains kind of that whole like oh i have standards kind of thing you know like you can only sort of like be there's always going to be that moment where you, they're like well this is ridiculous no one kills batman but me kind of thing you know and here it's just kind of the the joker that they that that Snyder set in place that I don't even really know actually ever technically came back. I mm, is, is, what kind of, well, he, I mean, cause he I, came back in the epilogue. You like so,
2: uh, the prologue you like so much.
0: Oh, the prologue for metal. Did he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hmm. That's the
0: big reveal of the prologue for Mantle. Oh, right, that he's there in the thing, doing the... Right, I totally forgot about that. That was such a long time ago. Because then he giggles and snickers and disappears, but... Right, okay, so he is back. Right, sorry, I was too busy thinking, like, the War of Joke and Riddles was a thing, and the thing... But yeah, right. He's back. I don't necessarily think that he would be a great... Oh, God. Anyway, Graham, yeah, I have to say that Metal (laughs) started off really good for me, and then just by the end, I I just... A, I kind of didn't care, and B, I was both. I guess I was. It felt like a long audition for Scott Snyder's Justice League title, you know, which is it's, coming. That's up. that is one of the problems with the epilogue,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I re- actually really liked the epilogue. I I, I thought the epilogue was uh, more memorable, less frantic. Uh, and and just generally more in tune with what I expect from those characters, mm-hmm. that than metal as as overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm literally remembering more of Metal Six as we're talking. Like, there's the whole. All of a sudden, they have armor made out of the metal. Yes. Uh, right. And, and and there's there's the uh, the all the different Batman jump out of the Ultima Thule. Mm-hmm. Uh Like I, I as I'm talking, I'm like oh yeah, that happened too. But the epilogue worked very. Uh, better for me than the main story but you're right the problem is the epilogue so clearly setting up the Justice League book really does make you go oh so Metal was was the Justice League audition Mm
1: -hmm. Mm mhm
0: mhm you know
2: which is which is a shame because I I don't think it necessarily started that way mm
1: -hmm. mhm mhm
2: uh but with with the epilogue being so clear about Justice League is coming Mm mhm uh, and also, there's various things that n- make no sense in metal, other than a Justice League setup. Mm-hmm. Like, why does the Martian Manhunter show up? Because he doesn't do anything in metal. Right. You know?
0: It only makes sense if you're doing that to bring him back for Justice League. Well, there's even some of the things with, like, the, uh, the Immortal Man, or some of the Immortal Men, or some of the other stuff, with, you know, the add-ons that, um that are coming out of this that didn't really have seem to have any place in the event, you know. That it was like, which well, I guess was so, fine. there's so many things. No, but there's so much in that. They're like the,
2: the Challenger's Mountain, mm-hmm. right? You know, like yeah. that was that was a big thing in the early issues. Yeah, like it it, it played out really big in issues one and issue two, uh, and then you're like, but actually was it even issue one was it the first two prologues I can't remember challenge the mountain is a big thing early in the book yes and and then it's not yeah you know and you're like what, what actually I, I am going to have to read metal in a one because it's one of these things that's either going to read better when you read it all together Mm -hmm. because there will be a momentum that carries you through and you don't give a shit about the things that go missing. right? Or it will make all the things go missing all the more obvious.
0: I think it's going to be more of the latter. Like, just the fact that you mentioned, like, I'm like, oh, right, he does introduce the Joker in the Metal Prologues, but then he, like, just drops out and disappears. And, in fact, there's a whole bunch of questions that are more or less posed about, you know, why is Joker... Being jailed up. Well, I take it back. Maybe they did answer it because it was tied to the metal thing. I don't know. There was just well, a no, lot of stuff. Like, that was just I, like...
2: I would say that uh, the Joker is like one of the few things that actually gets asked and answered. Mm. In because there's there's a lot that doesn't. Honestly, and th- this is this is particularly damning because either a it speaks to the fact that the one of the core concepts of metal it is is nonsensical, or b I think it just did one or B, but go with me here, Jeff. I will. Uh, that the like my reading comprehension is so off. Mm-hmm. But what did metal like? What what was the end metal thing even really about?
0: <sighs> I, yeah. No, like, I. Really? Yeah.
2: Because I'm I genuinely I'm not sure I understand.
0: Right. I. Th- think, as far as I can tell, like, and, and this is what I find, what I also think is fascinating, is, is that Snyder really takes a lot of, because I said so, to like, crazy levels in, in metal. But, from what I can tell, he had seeded the series all the way through with clues about the nth metal, or maybe it's the tenth metal, I don't remember. But, he basically starts off with the nth metal, then moves to the tenth metal, and then by the time they're running around in their armor, I think that might be the next level up. So there's all these it's things. Element X, which is a, a Legion of Superheroes reference.
2: I think. Oh, okay,
0: all right, right. That is, it, really is Element well.
2: X, not what powers the miracle machine.
0: Uh, hmm. That that would make sense. Uh, that would certainly make sense. But so, so I just felt like there was a certain level of that kind of, by, by the end, it just kind of felt like there were metals being pulled out of everyone's butt. And then, you know, it's like there's the multiverse and then there's the dark multiverse. And when you think about it, once you introduce the dark multiverse, doesn't the whole idea of the, the force wall breaking open seem kind of anticlimactic. Like, sort of seems a little bit smaller. Like, I, oh, I mean, what's
2: it's... What's really interesting is, because I talked to them about this, as you mm-hmm. know, they see it as the other, the other side. Mm-hmm. They see it that what is on the other side of the source wall is bigger than the Dark Multiverse.
0: Yeah, but, again, you can say that, but that's the thing. There's a lot in this series that's kind of like, oh, yeah, we're saying that it's bigger, and it's like, but...
2: not 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 makes sense to me because my understanding of the dark multiverse based on metal Mm -hmm. is that if the multiverse is 52 Earths, the dark multiverse is literally 52 Earths
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and no more. And so the idea of there is more out there, which is explicitly said metal because they go to the 53rd Earth. Right. Right. So there is at least one more Earth out there. Right. And from my reading, the 53rd Earth going there is what broke the source wall. Mm -hmm. We'll see if I'm right or not. I suspect I'm not. I suspect they're going to come up with another reason why that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that, like to me, that that ties in with the oh, there's there is more. The cosmology is only a small fraction. Like that, that rings true to me as a reader.
0: Hmm. Interesting, because I think that was my problem. Is by the end of it, almost none of it was ringing true. It just all felt very, it all it all felt too heavily manufactured. Uh, for me to really care, which was kind of a shame, because again, it really followed at the beginning of it. I was like, "Oh wow, this is going to be." You were totally on board. Like I remember, yeah. you were especially with the prologues. You're oh, like, yeah. "This
2: is going to be great." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although not, I want to say like you started get, getting getting disillusioned as early as Metal One.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think Metal Metal One might have been the one where I was like. Or maybe I think I was okay with it because I feel like Metal One might have been the one that opened with, like, it's sort of the tail end of a Justice League story that you kind of jammed in there. I was okay with it kind of up until, oh, well, because I think there was that whole thing of, like, they all show up and, you know... Um, Shira is kind of like, yes, it's Batman. He's the bad guy, and everyone's like, huh? And then Batman kind of does his from a and then he's like riding on a dinosaur. And Scott Snyder's like, oh shit, he's on a dinosaur. How awesome is that, guys? And and it just really at that point that is is that early on where I was felt like Batman's getting away from like. The entire Justice League, because he basically did a oh look over there and then Wait, ran in the direction. Wait, that's a surprise
2: direction? after reading Scott Snyder's Batman. Well, n- where Batman repeatedly gets away from the Justice League and anyone else just by being Batman. Well,
0: he does. The, he does a better job laying the groundwork for it. I feel, and which is ridiculous because there's barely any groundwork being laid in Scott Snyder's stuff. But there's a little bit more of the. I don't know. It just, it I'm, right. I'm like that's your problem. Well, no, I know. I know it sounds silly, <laughs> but well, but that's it. I feel like Scott Snyder who did a lot of kind of because I said so, or like, you know, cranking things into making it worse. And then there's the light at the end and then it gets worse. And then there's the other light and then it gets worse. And then there's that last little bit that, you know, most of the time I felt like that more or less got, got, Pulled out completely, but here maybe because there's like multiple people or villains, like there, there's this huge sequence at the end of five where like Wonder Woman and, oh, and this is the other thing that's a little weird is unless Jim Valentino like did some sort of like deal with DC didn't they more or less just completely rip off the design for Shadowhawk for um, Shaira H- Carters, or Halls, or whatever the hell her last name is in this particular incarnation? Her her suit of armor that where she's fighting with uh, Wonder Woman as, you know, basically the new Hawk girl. I mean, it just looks like Shadowhawk, right?
2: I would love to remember that outfit well enough to give you an answer.
0: Okay, I think that's
2: but fair. But I don't, so yeah. let's go with... <laughs> you're not even going to Google it. That's what I think is great. No, I yeah, am. I'm, like, I'm actually like... looking. I'm trying to find the, the PDF of it right now. Okay. I yeah. literally don't remember where it, when it came out. When did the motherfucker come out?
0: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anyway, while you hunt around for Shadowhawk, I'll just be kind of like... I just... I, I don't know. I just don't know. It just... Oh, right. So there's a sequence where it's Wonder Woman and the new hot Girl, and they're like, we have to fight against all of our evil demon versions, you know, where it's like... Here's Wonder Woman, but she's also Cheetah. And, you know, basically kind of that whole idea of, like, everything that we did with Batman, now we can do it with Wonder Woman, and it's going to be twice as uninteresting. And, uh, you know, they're like, we have to fight! And at the end of, you know, five, they're jumping, and it's the two of them against, you know, the, this, you know, literal army of nightmares assembled from across the Dark Multiverse. And then in issue I, six... yeah. I was going to say, I'm going to give you that
2: it's very, uh, Shadowhawk esque. Okay. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, a m an entire, uh, weirdly enough, I see more similarities with Marvel's Nighthawk. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So let's just, let's just leave it as it's a fairly generic hawk outfit. I
0: guess that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I...
2: Um, I mean, yeah. Anyway, sorry. To get, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to answer oh, no, the no, question. No, that. no, no. <laughs> it's
0: totally fine. It's just they had this thing of like, here we go. We must fight and never give up fighting. And then, like at the beginning of of issue six of Metal, they're like, we've just been fighting for hours. I'm getting so tired. And I'm like, what? You guys can't lose. Like, I, there was just something that was just weird about that. Like, I don't know. I just kind of, I just, did, I kind of just got tired of it. I, I felt like. Capullo's interest in the art sort of came and went. Um, I thought that Snyder was just trying just way too fucking hard. And at some point, whether it was Dan DeDio being like, well, great. Let's also, you know, build our line of new titles jumping out of this that we can like sort of half acidly mention throughout the series. Maybe at the end, if you're lucky kind of thing, it just, it just kind of all felt like. I've, I've gotta tell you, having read
2: The End of Metal now, mm-hmm. I can see where the, the, whatever they're called, uh, the, was it New Age of DC Heroes comes from as a mm-hmm. concept? Right. Launching those books before that issue came out? Yeah, right. Seems even more nonsensical to me now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
2: like, what did you actually gain by doing
0: that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they were strike while the iron's hot because maybe they saw the 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 script for six and they're like, mm, all right, we gotta, <laughs> yes, you'll never believe how important rampage is to metal. Pick it up now, now, you know, like challengers of the unknown. I'm hoping that it's just the adventures of the fucking mountain. Like they don't give, they don't actually introduce the challengers at all. Maybe for the first two arcs, it's just the mountain popping up and people being like, "Oh, we must scale the top of the mountain!" Ah, you know. I think that's that's exactly
2: what that is going to feature. It's all it's going to be all about
0: the mountain, of course, of course. Well, that's that's kind of how it worked in in. In metal, every, every point of it, it was all about Challenger's Mountain, then it disappeared, now it's back, now there's a thing on it, quick, get to the top of the mountain, we'll never make it to the top of the mountain, and it's, I'm, I'm like, really guys, like, it's Challenger's of the Unknown, you guys really didn't care, it's like Scott Snyder read it and was like, yeah, you know what's awesome, that mountain, you know, I was just, it just seems really strange to me, you know, it was kinda like, ah, you know, the best part of the Atom, his belt. What if we just had, like, The Belt of Adam, and it would just be, like, a six-part mini-series? It would just be about the adventures of the belt.
2: And to be it, fair, the, the the Belt of Adam is the best part. Also, don't forget there was a series called Sword... In fact, there were two series called Sword of the Atom.
0: Oh, yeah. Sword of the Atom was kind of great, because that really was sort of that... That was just, like, Gil Kane loves drawing barbarians, and he loves drawing the Atom. Jan Sternad is going to figure out like how to come up with a series where you get both of them, and it, that was I, I totally because as a guy who dug Conan, I'm like, yeah, Gil Kane drawing like the Atom swinging a sword and jumping around on these frog mounts and stuff. That was I can't believe that you. Were, like I can't even gold. Believe you, it was. I can't even believe you're mentioning it in the same breath as as metal, Graham. I'm just I'm I'm shocked.
2: I, I'm i appalled and ashamed of myself, obviously. Not really. I don't think I've ever read any of the of the Atom. So, were they even series or were these specials? Now that I'm saying that, were they were these special editions? Like, just one uh, off? You just know
0: a couple what? of them? No, I, the first one was a four-issue miniseries, and then I think they might have returned to it in either a second miniseries or a giant one-shot. I don't remember which.
2: Time to look up the internet. Mm-hmm. Okay, sort of the Atom. Sword of the Atom, it says, was a major storyline and it was, oh, it was in fact, uh, a four-issue series yeah. and then four follow-up specials. Oh, wow. Sorry, three follow-up, okay. Three follow-up specials. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are all the follow-up specials? No, they're not all Gil Kane. In fact, the most recent one was 1988, which seems surprisingly late.
0: Yeah, that does seem very late. Sort of
2: yeah, it went, it went so the miniseries was mm-hmm. um 83. Right. And then the first special was 84, the second special was 85, and then the third special was 88.
0: Huh. By Pat Broderick as the artist. Interesting. Interesting. Considering we were talking about Micronauts so so recently. We weren't, Jeff, because we didn't name that comic. Uh, I didn't say today. <laughs> <laughs> Great job spoiling it, Graham. Wow. <laughs> Jesus!
2: Hey, you're editing. You can cut this out. Yeah,
0: it's totally true. Totally true.
2: Um, yeah, Metal Six. Uh, yes. Okay. Let's go through the rest of your list, Jeff.
0: Yeah, I got okay. so much stuff where, to talk about. You guys, where's where's
2: your list? Yeah. Um, Metal guess, Six. We're, we're, we're getting up there in time, though, Jeff. So we we wanted like not not be crazy. Yeah. Uh, let's see, the crazy ass Marvel Digital Sales is being like a tire fire that never dies. You kind of touched on that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, From there, some Marvel sales stuff you've been reading. Uh, Amazingly lousy Morbius story.
0: Oh, my God. So, yeah, one of the things I spent 84 cents on was that uh, Vampire Tales um, collection, which –
2: Oh, I was was tempted. I, I don't know why. I don't even like the horror stuff. I saw that, and I was like, ooh.
0: Yeah, no, I I kind of get it. I mean, and let me tell—well, because of course you were so uh, enamored of that amazing Chris Claremont Blade stuff that you can also pick up for eighty-four cents now. I think. Well, that you can pick
2: up for 84 cents. I would pick up for ninety-nine because I am
0: not. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. That is not that is not smart of me. So, so yeah, this collects like the first um, three issues of Vampire Tales. And, uh, I'm just barely gotten to the third issue. And one of the things that I can say with complete and utter, uh, accuracy is Morbius is the most terrible cre- creation of Marvel comics from the sixties or seventies ever. Oh. Yeah. Cause he is, they hate him. Like there's literally <laughs> the opening Would you story. Say
2: they, the they who hate him are the creators. Uh,
0: yes. Yeah, yeah, the opening story by Morbius, uh, called, it's titled Morbius, is written by Steve Gerber. Art is, uh, Pablo Marcos, who does some like, re- I, this is like black and white work, but he's doing like some sort of, uh, uh, watercolor overlays at certain parts on the page, which look great. But like Steve Gerber literally, well, there's also the fact that, um, That Morbius looks less like a vampire and more like, um, like the human man pug, basically. He sort of looks like he's, Pablo Marcos keeps drawing him with like this little goofy dog face. Morbius is, he, he, the, the Steve Gerber does not even bother to construct a story for him. And, and, and the follow-up issue, which has, um, Don McGregor and Rich Buckler or maybe it's Don McGregor and someone else, I think it's Buckler, are also similarly stymied. Because the whole thing about Morbius is he's this guy who, like, um, craves human blood because of this condition that he's fucked himself up with. He's a scientifically created vampire. And then once he's fed, he turns into just like the worst kind of whiny asshole, like it's clear nobody <laughs> likes Morbius. The opening sequence was Steve Steve Gerber literally does not give a shit about morbius they he like recaps you know Morbius being like, "Oh, I've come to Los Angeles to find my beloved Martine Martine. where is she? I need her you know and then and then he ends up like um on the sunset strip and like this uh this crazy uh satanist chick, the part of the children of Satan is kind of like, oh wow, you seem like a real creepy dude, and he's like, I need to find Martine, and she's like, I'll bring you to like my cult leader who like can tell the future with her crazy vibes, man, and then they like go in, and the 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 spell casting woman basically is like, sort of like, okay, let me look in the crystal ball. Oh yeah, Martin's dead and Morbius is like, what? No, breaks the crystal ball. A demon jumps out of the crystal ball and his name is what uh, Nilrak, like God only knows. Oh, Carlin. Yeah. His, his nickname is literally, his name is literally Carlin backwards. So basically maybe George Carlin, Mike Carlin. I don't, I don't know, but. So, too early to be Mike Carlin, sure. You would think, but so Morbius and this dude fight and then Morbius tries to bite his neck and the guy doesn't have blood in his veins, he has fire, so he just bursts into flame and then Morbius is like pissed, so then he bites like the 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 head of the church and then uh the chick Ella who brought him there is kind of like flipped out and Morbius is kind of like ah uh, do you not see the danger in my affliction to yourself? I dare not risk your life by remaining here. And he, and he basically like runs off. And it's just like, this story makes no sense. And it literally nothing's accomplished. And I think the last panel is like Morbius. He's like lying and thus morning finds Morbius asleep on the roach infested floor of a dank warehouse subcellar. Dreaming of the nightmare he will live when everything, when evening falls once more. And that's, I mean, that is it. It is just like, the, the follow up is like Morbius being an asshole and a whiner after he like bites somebody else and cries about it, but then he like hooks up with another crazy attractive woman who's being tricked by, she's basically being gaslit by her brother who's members of like another satanic church. And then at the end of that They kidnap her and Morbius is kind of like Oh well I failed And I was like You failed? Like that's it? Like this is the second story in a row With Morbius where they're like okay he's gonna run around He's gonna be a dick, he's gonna whine Then he's gonna fail Like it's really kind of So old (laughs) You're like I've purchased these already Say yes, say no more Jeff (laughs) I mean, there is some lovely art in some of the other stories. Actually, there's there's some great stuff. Like, there's an early story by Jody Burnet who must have been like crazy young, and it looks
2: insane. Oh no, well,
0: maybe not. Like, how old is Jody Bernay? Uh, I think he. Well, I think he's passed now, hasn't he? Isn't he? Didn't he die? He he. Well, uh,
2: yeah, because he was. So apparently, he was born in 1944. Oh, okay. So I'd say he was probably like
0: 30. Yeah, so he, he was, was like 33, so yeah, him. it makes sense. And yeah. they have another Spanish artist here, um, uh, Jesus Blasco, I think, who, who did, uh, art for, um,
2: for 2008 and Scream, I'm sure, fairly sure, like that oh, oh, name sounds yeah.
0: super familiar. Yeah, to he's, me. yeah, Spanish and also for the Warren magazines. I think he did a lot of, uh, Vampirella stuff too. So, so I mean, some of the art is pretty, Solid, but like the stories, man. There's like a there's like a debut story by uh, of the the debut of Satana that's done by John Ramita. Oh, that's actually the great thing. Jesus Blasco does the first five pages and then apparently gets bored and wanders off because it's a Gardner F. Fox story. And then John Romita comes in and draws the last three pages. And let me tell you, if you want to see two styles that do not go together in the same story, you should definitely check that out. Anyway, then John Romita is just warming up because he and Roy Thomas do the introduction of Satana in a five-page sequence um that is let's just say that Roy Thomas was not working nearly as hard as John Romita was working. Like, I mean, that's I a truism I think we can about... say
2: that for, like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> for every single one of their collaborations.
0: <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. The Steranko at the Stroke of Midnight story that has been, um, you know, that I think appeared in Chamber of Horrors number two or whatever that's been collected in various Steranko stuff, it pops up here in black and white Um, and is pretty lovely. Good old Starenko, you know, but, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, this is, this is going to sell you on a gram. There's a story by Don McGregor and Rich Buckler called the praying mantis principle, which is set in the early 1930s in New York, in which, um, basically a bunch of female vampires running a bordello to be able to, to like, um, you know, have their prey come to them, they end up having to match wits with Hodiah Twist, who is basically dresses, acts, and talks exactly like Sherlock Holmes, and has a companion who acts, dresses, and looks exactly like John Watson from from the days, but spend most of their time talking about how much they are not Sherlock Holmes, but are in fact Hodiah Twist and his companion, Conrad Jevens. So, if you want to see What? Yeah. It's crazy.
2: What what, what? what even is that? Yeah. I don't know what you were just saying. Yeah. Those words didn't even make sense. I Jeff. know.
0: I know. It literally sounds like gibberish. And let me tell you, it's an app summary of the story. So, uh, yeah. I got to say, like, that 99 cents, depending on what you want from your comics, is either a but again, ninety nine cents. No, I know. I know. Do you know what I mean? yeah. There really is that moment of like, I'll buy shit for ninety nine cents. It's ninety nine cents. Exactly. And I mean, again, it's like two, one hundred and ninety two pages. For people who love Chris Claremont, there is literally a text piece in the first three issues where he summarizes. Uh, I honestly thought that he was making this up, but it turned out to be a real book. Um. He is summarizing the the work, the 1928 uh, vampire. Where is it? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, here's a huge piece by Bela Lugosi about Bela Lugosi. Mark Evanier does movie reviews, which is interesting because he clearly hates movies. So that's. <laughs>
2: I don't think that's true, but. Well. Uh, it just might be that he hates the movies he's seen. He's,
0: he's certainly hating the movies that he's seen. So, let's see, where, where is it? Oh my god. Ah, I'm so sorry that I can't find this Chris Claremont piece. Cause it's literally Chris no, Claremont. I, I,
2: I think you should just leave it like, as, as this, cause you know that's the, that is the, the most convincing argument you've made to me yet. Oh, but, I know.
0: I know. Believe me, you've got, to, it, it, it is, it's him summarizing the works of, oh, here we go. It's, it's a, it's a five part study of Montague of Summers. Of course
2: it's a five part study. Yes. It's a, it's Chris Claremont. Of course it's a study. Yes.
0: Yes. Of Montague Summers, the vampire, his kith and kin. Which was a book oh that Summers God. wrote back in the 20s. And literally, between the name Montague Summers and the way Chris Claremont is, is writing this stuff, I'm like, he's just making this up. But then I actually ended up... Oh, uh, The
2: Vampire has Kith and Kin. I mean, that also suggests it's a fictional book.
0: Yeah, exactly. Except if he, except Chris Claremont was at least clever enough to go back and make a Wikipedia entry for, for him later. So apparently this is like a real dude. So, but, ah, uh, it's, A freak accident, some voice murmurs, hysterical superstition. Once, yes. Twice, probably. Especially over a period of centuries. Yes. But not a s- not a score or two of times scattered across the length and breadth of Europe. There's too much there. The account's too precise and similar to dismiss them all with a smart quip and an airy gesture. An airy gesture. Oh here's goodness. here's how he ends part two. It's like <laughs> peace, brother, and pleasant dreams. Like that's just that's just the last line in oh, the building God. for that. But yeah, yeah. No, that, see
2: that that really might be worth. Yeah, to, uh, to see
0: Chris Claremont be. Said. Let's rap, cats, about something real to us. Oh no, really? He doesn't. He did. That's. I'm paraphrasing. I, I mean, uh, I haven't I read the whole piece. That,
2: that would be like you would have told me. <laughs> I
0: it's cannot believe the, the, the enthusiasm <laughs> just, and joy, brother.
2: That. Come on, oh Jeff. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on.
0: Yes. So, uh,
2: Incredible Doom, this indie comic you found in Comixology.
0: Yes, three issues of it, um, published, uh, th- on Comixology, their, their indie print thing, which is to say that it's more or less done by, um, self published by Matthew Bogart, uh, story by Matthew Bogart and Jesse Holden. Uh, Incredible Doom, there's three chapters to it so far. It's sort of an interconnected story set in the early 1990s about three troubled teens who uh, meet on computer both BBSs of the day and uh, it's it's not great but boy it looks great I have to tell you and it's interesting Bogart is um, supported by uh, has a Patreon and thanks his patrons at the end of each issue and it's sort of delightful watching how um, his, his patron count really climbs um, from each issue uh but it's kind of like it's one of those things where the cartooning is so beautiful and i think I each issue on the is...
2: website right now it's amazing yeah
0: isn't it gorgeous and um so
2: it's com for for anyone who's curious yes and that that artwork is glorious
0: yeah yeah, really just super, super top notch. And so watching, watching the artist come along, like each issue's been a little bit better than the one before it. Still not sort of solidly nailed down with its premise. There's some real gimmies as far as characters and things go, but really beautiful. So for people who I think, you know, are kind of into looking for a developing talent, Again, these issues are 99 cents. Apparently the pages are being put up on IncredibleDoom.com, it sounds like, so.
2: Well, issues one through four
0: are up on IncredibleDoom.com. Oh, okay. So yeah, you can even save yourself some, some, some dosh and, uh, and check them out. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, wasn't perfect. When I picked them up, I was like, oh, this is going to be great, you know, cause I really like the sample art. It, they're beautiful to look at. And again, it's, I don't, I don't feel bad at all supporting a developing talent because I think I think Bogart's gonna go even bigger places. So
2: the sixteen volumes of this insane sex manga you read. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. What else literally he just sent me prompts. So that's all I'm doing. I'm reading out the prompts and then Jeff can just fill in the blanks.
0: Uh actually so one of the things that was great was was Graham's reply to my list was of course, insane sex manga, which I thought was really funny. It was that, and then him the straightening. What is
2: experience. more on brand?
0: I know, right? That is so 16 sad. Sixteen
2: volumes of. Because here's the thing, you can tell where your true interests lie, because <laughs> we will have a conversation. You'll be like, "Yeah, you know, I, I really struggled to get through those eight issues of Fantastic Four." But I also read sixteen volumes of insane sex manga.
0: That is true. That is true. I,
2: you know, each volume is probably what at least three issues of Fantastic Four. Right? Oh yeah, in I mean, it's pages.
0: it's like a couple hundred pages. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right.
2: So in that yeah. case, let's call it ten issues of Fantastic Four. You can't get through eight issues of Fantastic Four. But you can't get through 16 volumes.
0: Okay. Of this manga. First off, 16 volumes was a little more spread out. Although I have to admit that I read the last eight in a sprint and more or less damaged my brain, uh, <laughs> over a weekend. But, also,
2: I love that you didn't even tell me the name of it. You literally just said 16 volumes of this insane sex manga. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause I'm not sure I actually want to say the name cause the name is embarrassing enough, right? No, nope. like,
2: come on. You've got to.
0: Okay. Be prepared. Graham, this is 16 volumes of a manga called S&M in which one of the characters' names starts with an S and the other one starts with the name M. Imagine if why, you...
2: Why is that? I, I don't get why that's a terrible title.
0: I, I think that calling something S&M is for me kind of like, I don't know how you, how to describe it, but it basically paints me as having essentially no shame in terms of what I'm trying to pick up. And to be fair, I only picked up the first volume because, uh, the, it's called S&M, the incredible duet of the beautiful love goddesses didn't have any more volumes left. So I was like, eh, I'll give it a try. So. It basically starts as kind of a series that, that more or less was kind of like, Hey, remember that movie, Fatal Attraction? Remember how the problem was that it was like so low key shit. and so closely tethered to reality? Yeah. And it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for cutting off my joke, Cram. Uh,
2: it, so I'm sorry, I watched I watched Philomena Conk last night, and that that is
0: oh my god, is, a is that on BBC America or something? Because
2: uh, it's it's on YouTube.
0: Oh, okay, that's where we're going. Yeah, because I saw the I saw the little excerpt about the the amazing thing with the penis, which was astounding, the gra- the graffiti. Um, yeah, we,
2: I should say because people complain that we talk about stuff we never explain. There's a show called CONCOM Britain, yes, which is essentially a history of Britain. As explained by someone who is uh, stupid, but also very bad at asking people questions in a way that is hilarious and ultimately gets the truth a lot quicker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: uh, And it is a joy. Yeah. A joy, including one of my favorite throwaway jokes, which is she's talking about the change between Stone Age Man and Iron Age Man. Uh-huh. And she goes, Iron Man isn't this isn't what he is in the movies. He can't fly. He doesn't have any superpowers like flying or being able to tolerate Gwyneth Paltrow.
0: <laughs> that's that's such a classic. That is so perfect. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway,
2: back to your back to your uh, insane sex manga. Yeah,
0: insane sex manga. S and M, sixteen volumes. It starts off with the story of a salaryman. Who is married and, uh, has kids and has a nice normal life and then this, uh, this beautiful woman starts working in, uh, his office and trying to seduce him. And what becomes apparent relatively early on is she is trying to get revenge on him because her mother committed suicide when he did not sleep with her back when they were in high school together. So he doesn't know this, but the girl is basically acting like, you know, all she wants is sex, but of course she literally wants to destroy every aspect of his life. So, so the idea, I guess is, is that, uh, so from such humble beginnings, you would not think that they could manage to stretch that out for 16 volumes. But it is amazing the lengths that they go to. Because it's more or less, it's kind of in three phases at this point. Like, phase one is her trying to seduce him, then revealing that she's going to destroy his life. Him trying to basically get out of this scenario that she has cooked him in. There's an... There's an amazing subtext where, like, a subtext, there's an amazing subplot where his co-worker... <laughs> is there any subtext in his comic? No, there's really not, which is glorious. Actually, I don't think that... The, I, this is the thing that's actually really crazy, is, is that it's a 16-volume insane sex manga where, like, the subtext might be A, love conquers all, and B if you are essentially a pure enough hearted guy you can more or less have sex with four or more women and everyone's going to appreciate your wholesome motives in doing so it's astonishing it's astonishing there's There's long sequences where people are having sex at gunpoint and their only way to get out of it is to have sex so amazingly well that they make the person not holding the gun, the, the accomplice so horny that they grab the person with the gun, um, and therefore give the people having sex a chance to get away. Like it's, it's astounding. I've never. I have,
2: I have, I have two questions. Right. One.
0: What is wrong with you, Jeff?
2: <laughs> no. Is this actually an S&M comic? Because you said it's called S&M. Right. And there's a character called S- whose name starts with S and a character whose name starts with M. Yeah. But you've not said if it's an S&M comic.
0: You know, and that is that is a good question. Because technically, I would feel like the answer is no, it's not. Like, someone was like, oh, S&M, it's a phrase that means sex. But that being said, like, there's a stage, like at at one point the dude's coworker who um is in been secretly in love with him because of what a great-hearted guy that he is her brain snaps after he sees her uh, sees him having sex with the woman in the library and the woman of course tells this coworker that she would, basically was forced to do it by this dude she the coworker snaps turns herself into this ultra sexed up, um, woman who then literally imprisons this guy in a cage and forces him to have sex with her. So there's weird SM elements at various (laughs) points, but, uh, but really it's much more kind of a, a suspense, a sex suspense book where like literally there's an action sequence that is either capped off by some ridiculous sex scene or it's a ridiculous sex scene that morphs into an action scene, kind of like the thing with the gun stuff, which is amazing. I won't even get into the later scenes, the later volumes when the wife gets involved and gets seduced by this guy, and then ends up out in the woods, um, about to be offered up to some sort of like crazy orgy club, and is only through an act of heroic analingus is able to escape. I mean, it is astounding. This book, Graham, it is a uh, Amazing. The other thing that's amazing is there's 16 volumes. It actually ran for either 26 or 28. I can't even remember. Oh, so it's not fully completed yet, which is amazing. Amazing to me. So, and at each level, the guy basically encounters, like, cause somehow he, once things are resolved with him and the crazy woman, Well, basically the crazy woman more or less escapes and then he encounters this other woman who more or less is like a pure virginal person who like just needs his help learning how to love men again because of her bad experiences, who of course turns out to be the sister of the crazy woman. And then later the dad comes in and it's just, it just becomes pure insanity. Like it really is one of the more insane things that I've read. And yet, part of what's compelling about it, apart from just ridiculous sex scenes to a level that you're not really sure that the people involved really know how sex works, but is also kind of the level of just ongoing inventiveness. The ways in which they more or less have to figure out new ways of how can I top this one. There's one point where about 12 chapters in, there's and I don't want to spoil things, but two characters end up having sex and and not only does a tornado hit I,
2: I honestly thought that when you said I don't want to spoil things you actually meant that and then you are like two characters are having sex I was like oh that was a joke
0: yeah, sorry about that. But literally, literally, not only does a tornado strike the building while they're having sex, but the character who's actually being cuckolded is at home watching TV while trying to open a beer as this whale is led back out to sea. And so you literally have the sequence in which the people who are having sex reach climax. It's followed by not one... Not two, but three double page spreads of one of the character at home watching TV opening this beer and it's spraying everywhere Two, the whale actually coming out of the water and spewing water out of its uh, blowhole. And then the tornado like literally tearing everything apart. Like I was like. They, they couldn't, they couldn't decide which metaphor for climax. So they just did all of them. It's, it's astounding. It really is. That's, I have to that's say. That's how
2: you make it to 28 volumes, Jeff.
0: You, you do. You literally come up with like brand new ways for what's the most ridiculous way that somebody can now trick another person into having sex. Astonishing. Astonishing. So, uh, yeah, not really a book for anyone for everyone, I mean, anyone is probably more accurate, even though it it literally <laughs> it's a book ran. for you twenty eight volumes, Graham, I made it through sixteen it's, astro- I,
2: it's clearly a book for many people if it made it, it's twenty eight volumes twenty eight volumes of
0: this it's crazy, so uh, yeah, like I said, like um. It's, it's amazing that there's stuff out there in the world and, uh, people, I don't, I can't necessarily say that I recommend it, but, uh, every once in a while, Media Do, which is the scary ass company that seems to be poorly translated manga, um, when they have a sale on Comixology, some of these volumes are $2.50 a pop, which is part of why I was able to read all 16 of them and only feel like half of an idiot. Uh, Imagine if they had the 99-cent sales, Jeff. Oh, my God. Well, see, that's it, Graham. They didn't need to. They cut, they reeled me in. Like, I'm sure they're actually literally surprised that people are buying those volumes. I think I told you about the incredible duet of the beautiful love goddesses. They, they published volumes 1, 2, and 3, and then volume 6. No, volume 4. One, two, and five—they skipped over publishing volumes three and f- three and four, and then they retroactively released those. But I, 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 I why? Why did they skip over them, or why did they turn yeah. around and? I don't. No, why know. Why did they
2: skip over them? I have no That's idea. The I don't,
0: yeah, it's just I think I think honestly, no one was paying attention or. I mean, based on the editing of the books, the people who are publishing them can't read and therefore got confused as to whether five follows two. I don't, I literally don't know. <laughs> there's, there's so many theories and none of them are flattering to anyone involved, especially myself. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 Graham. That's. I think that's kind of it for the list. I mean, there's some other stuff. It's going to be really weird to segue from talking about insane. I was. I was going
2: to say, yeah. I. I don't know. I don't know if there is a way to segue (laughs) into the 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 other the the one thing that actually started your list, but I left to the end because it's something that you can't really segue out of. Does that make sense?
0: Right. Yeah. I think. And I.
2: I don't. I don't even know if you want to talk about it after.
0: Well, I'm, I'm gonna su- I'm gonna sound like a huge asshole after <laughs> after that, but I don't think that will stop me. Um, yeah. So very briefly, uh, I think I think uh, I want to say that um, uh, first off, thanks Graham for uh, genuinely for um, for those who know Graham posted uh, on Wait What and explained uh, on our website and talked about why we were delayed. Uh, In our last couple of episodes, he had uh, stuff going on with uh, Kate and the dogs. Um, My dad, who uh, was 85, um, basically went into the hospital with pneumonia. Um, complications from uh, from catching the flu that, of course, was pretty nasty this season. Developed pneumonia, went into the hospital, and uh, basically proceeded to get worse. Um, there were a variety of health issues that were all kind of lined up against him that that managed to do a, a pretty bad number on him. So there were episodes. I think the first time we were trying to record the Baxter Building, I had to canceled because I had found out that my dad had gone into palliative care. And, um, well, actually, I guess the first time was when he went from being in the hospital for four days and then went into um, the ICU. And that's the point where I had to leave work and drive up and see him. And he was, I was up there for about two days and he was barely responsive and looked terrible. And it was it was just among the most heartbreaking things i think I've, I've seen in my life and um uh so and then the other time i think we canceled might have been when he went into palliative care and then and then he died god it is so hard for this because it feels like such a long time ago i think it was literally only a week and a half ago i found out early on saturday morning that he would passed um and, uh, uh he, he, we haven't had services for him yet. Um, that'll probably happen in, in like a month. Um, he wanted to be cremated. So, I mean, it's not like there's a huge, um, pressing, um, reason to, to get it out of the way. And there's some other stuff going on that's sort of keeping everybody apart. But the things that I wanted to say were, again, thanking Graham for letting people know what was going on when I more or less literally couldn't. Be just the incredible generosity, um, from the whatnots. Uh, everyone who took the time to message me, uh, on Twitter or drop me an email or just a really incredibly generous outpouring of comments, uh, on the post itself. That was, that was really, really, um, so, so encouraging and, and so, uh, gratifying. Um, One of the things that was kind of tough about about um, the last few years with me and my dad was that um, he was such an amazing dad when I was a kid. Oh my God, he was just the best. Um, But kind of due to a variety of factors, I think not least of which was that the way he grew up, his childhood more or less ended at about 11 or so. And I don't think once we grew past that point, I think it got a little harder for him to relate to us in part because we were literally, literally having the childhood that he didn't have. Um, but also as as things progressed um as we got older the, uh, there was a variety of things going on with him that kind of made us less than the center of uh, his attention so even though i told him about the podcast a few times i don't think that it ever really sunk in or mattered to him um which is kind of a shame because i think he would have been incredibly um touched by knowing that so many people cared Um, about me enough and knowing what it's like to go through that kind of loss. Um, I I think that 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 would have touched him a lot. And also, the thing where I thought it was appropriate to actually mention this on the podcast in a little more detail is, you know, I think it's unsurprising, but my dad was the guy who pretty much got me into comics. You know, I'd been a really reluctant reader, which is an impossible thing for me to imagine. Um, until, you know, he started putting, uh, comics in my hand uh, and then things just took off. I remember some of my fondest memories are his, um, the, the help his helping me set up the little bins for my various comic book titles and uh, you know writing the little three by five card with the title and the number of the issues that were out and i could circle each issue that i had and you know underline the ones that i still needed or wanted to trade up on or whatever um just incredibly sweet and and I think the other thing that's sort of germane is is that my dad grew up reading comics and and grew up reading them um, during the depression and the Great Depression, I should say, not not his personal depression. Um, and and one of the things that was really fascinating to me about my dad is that he he was not a you know he he pretty much pulled himself up by his bootstraps, went to college on the GI bill, got his um, doctorate in, I want to say zoology, and then went on to teach and develop uh, a successful course on medical microbiology uh, at, at the Humboldt state university. um, And was uh, really of incredibly successful and popular uh, instructor. And, um, You know, his emphasis was in the sciences, but one of the things that always impressed me about Dad was his taste in the arts was pretty much flawless. Um, When I reached my teenage years, later teenage years, and I was making the transition from basically reading comics to really wanting to read about comics and picking up my first couple of issues of uh, the Comics Journal, one of the things that was pretty amazing to me and great was the stuff that people were saying were fantastic comics and last lost classics were stuff that my dad had been fan had been a fan of and had introduced me and my brothers to like he grew up reading Chester gold stick Tracy in in, uh, the newspaper strips. And so when the, when he saw the occasional collection, which were very intermittent, you know, he would buy those for us and, um, you know, he was a big fan of, uh, well, Pogo and, um, you know, the original Captain Marvel CC Beck stuff. Um, it was just pretty amazing. Like he, he liked science fiction too in a variety of like things or his movies. His taste was good. It was never crappy. I don't think he would have spent much time reading 16 volumes of an insane sex manga. But, you know, thanks to him, I really had a much deeper knowledge base of comics, Little Abner and, um, things like that, that were all, again, like I said, sort of these things that were pinnacles of the medium, at least as they were being celebrated. And I've felt so incredibly fortunate to have that kind of exposure. And it, it always, again one of those weird um regrets that he's gone is knowing that there's never going to be any way uh, um that I can like show him like that this is this is such an important part of my life that it's literally something that I do with my friend week in and week out for like years now um talking about what's good or what's crazy in comics you know cuz i think I always thought that he would be um appreciative, even though the circumstances of his life were such that he wasn't you know i think I think one of the things that's really hard when someone dies is this idea that uh you're never going to have that opportunity to make that link or make that connection that that you wanted um and so it's it's kind of, it's, it's very bittersweet to talk about him on the podcast because it is much for the idea that even if he was alive, he would never would have listened to it, you know? And now that he's gone, mm. it's just the case. So anyway, to wrap up my dad, he had pretty good taste in comics and he passed it on to his kids. Um, and I'm really grateful to him for that and for so much that he gave me in my life. And, uh, I really hope he's in a better place now. So
2: I don't know what to say in response. I know,
0: right? Isn't that? I feel like what 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 a what a conversation killer. It's it's kind of a kind of a drag. Um, I mean, the the terrible part is I I know that we should actually probably jump somewhat. So we only have like about four or five minutes for the the buzzing monsters that's in. But I did want to ask you, Graham, because of course you lost your father. Well before I lost mine. was... Yeah,
2: I mean at this point, uh almost ten years ago. It'll ten be years... ten
0: years this December, yeah. Wow. Right. Did he did did he get you into comics per se? Was that something I, that... I
2: was I was thinking this earlier today after uh after her email. Um no. And it's funny, I always think that he was supportive of me reading comics, but mm-hmm. that's not actually necessarily true. Hmm. Um not that he was uh, objecting to it, but, I mean, my dad, for my early childhood, was an English teacher and put a lot of stock in uh, literature and, you know, mm-hmm. reading great works of literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he subverted my reading comics when I was a kid right. because I was reading. Right. And, but then there comes a the point where you're supposed to give up comics, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that did cause him um, polite consternation. <laughs> <laughs> like he never, he never outwardly was like, you should stop.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But there was, there was a, you should be reading this instead mm-hmm. to a lot of it. Um, and then what I remember clearly is like, this was happening as like Watchmen is coming out, as Dark Knight is coming out, as Mouse is coming out. Wow. And there's the wave of like, comics are for kids. Right. And I remember that made a difference in the way he uh, basically noticed and cared that I was reading comics. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was reading those comics, although right. I did. Like, honestly, years before, I think I appreciated them
0: mm-hmm.
2: or even understood them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he became supportive at that point, if that makes sense. Wow.
0: Wow. That's really interesting. That does make sense. And it's kind of... Um... That's, it's how fascinating that that sea change hit at that time, you know, for you. Well, I mean,
2: that sea, that sea change hit when I was like 13, 14.
0: Right. Right. You know,
2: which is the point where you're supposed to, say supposed to, but you know, the, the, there is the, oh, you, know, you shouldn't be reading that stuff. Yeah. You know, um, but I remember, uh, I think I've said this before, there were, there, when I discovered my first comic store, it was in Glasgow, and I didn't live in Glasgow.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I I lived in Greenock. I lived, uh, you know, which is like forty five minutes an hour away. Um But my dad worked in Glasgow. Uh. And he would go to the comic store and pick comics up for me. Like I would write him a list, a shopping list. Wow. He would actually, go in and give the guy the shopping list, and the guy would be like, "Okay, blah blah blah." Um, and it's it's funny because I yeah. Uh, like that was that was integral for me continuing to read comics mm-hmm. you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: that, that that that's literally that act of him doing it and again it's not like I was getting great comics at that point right um but but it was like that that was really important that that, that I had that access which wasn't like I, I went maybe like twice a year mm-hmm. but my dad would go in like every month wow you know um, and so yeah it it's i i like I said, I remember him being supportive, but not he he wasn't what got me into it. I honestly couldn't tell you what got me into it mm-hmm. but uh, I remember him being sort of supportive after
0: a while mm-hmm. after that fact that's uh that's great, that's great, it actually reminds me I'm like, oh yeah, now that you mention it, like. We had a comic book shop for a very brief time in Humboldt County. uh And my dad actually bought, like, a ton of comics from the dude and then more or less would give them to me for doing chores. So, like, you know, I was his, like, little workhorse. And like I said, dad was, dad had, like, pretty great tastes. So I remember growing up, like, seeing that he had, like, um he had, like, a first edition paperback of, like, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, and you know uh, the Foundation trilogy, and a bunch of a bunch of other stuff like really well read as a science fiction reader. And years later, I was kind of like, "Hey, Dad! Like, I you used to have those books on the shelf, and I was so uh, you know like obsessed with them. And it's like, do you I, I do you have them packed away somewhere? Because I I would love to have them, just have them on my shelf. And he's like, "Oh yeah, no, I." I, you know, I traded those in at the comic book store for the credit to get you the the issues. So I was was like, say it's it's a little lovely gift of the Magi type moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I really had that same thing of like, oh, right. Yeah. Like there was a point where like I would get to the supermarket all the time and buy what was on the stands. But, but it was really this, the, the deep cuts, all the obscure seventies Marvel stuff that I adored a lot of that really came from that shop and from my dad's basically trading a bunch of stuff in for the credit to to keep buying the stuff for me. So, and it, it is yeah, kind it's, of
2: funny. it's strange because you don't you don't really think about that mm-hmm. like the 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 ways in which our tastes are impacted by circumstance as much as anything. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you know what I mean that the, there are. Someone gives you something to read and you're like, Oh, this, this is going to set me on a course for the rest of my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Right. They, yeah. It seems, it seems kind of impossible to wrap your brain around and probably even more impossible for, for the person who gives it to you, you know, in that sense. Right. Yeah.
2: It's it, cause, cause who, who can tell what is going to, um, hit what, what is going to have that impact?
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You give them all kinds of stuff, and and you don't know what sticks. Hey, so you just started to buzz. Should we? I'm going to call you back really quickly, and then we'll wrap it up. I I, I hope you don't feel like I cut you off talking about your dad. If you if no you should, no not at all. No. Okay, good good good. Because I I at some point I think when I have a stronger constitution we should we should revisit the all dad episode because because uh, it's actually very lovely hearing more about your pop, but.
2: But yeah, but it's just it's maybe not the time now. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Not only have we been talking for two hours, but I literally well, we've been talking feel like for two and a half. Envelope.
2: I literally, oh, I literally God. just added up how long we've been talking. We have our recording so far is two hours and thirty six minutes long.
0: Oh good lord! Okay, yeah. Wow, how did I get so c- confused by that? Okay, well, so yes. Well, if you think about it. We started talking at seven o'clock, right? We really did, right? Jesus Lord, Graham. And it's almost dead. <laughs> Probably because I don't have Edie tromping in and out and, and kind of discreetly glaring at the back of my head to remind me that, that I have to shut up at some point. So um <laughs> Graham, what's next for us? Are we do you know when we're back? Are we back? We're we're gonna be back. Um right?
2: no we no we even did this last time. We actually planned it out. Right. We are back uh, we're off next week um, for the for the most exciting reason, which is exciting for me. Not exciting at all for Jeff. Um, I am I am in San Diego next week to uh, oh, right. to Eisner Judge. Right. Uh, for for a while, for for quite a, a length, from from Thursday through Monday. Uh, so I will literally be unable to record a podcast. So there will not be a podcast next week. The following week, mm-hmm. we're going to be doing another Baxter building. We're going yes. to be trying to catch up and doing another Baxter building with the final – we're doing actually a really Baxter building heavy uh month if you consider that basically the first hour of this podcast is Baxter building.
0: Yeah, that's true. You're absolutely right. It was like a Baxter building supplement. Uh, right? And I guess uh, I should say, like, listeners, if you like that if you liked what we were laying down, but you don't listen to the Baxter building, there's there's a lot more where that came from, so Some
2: would say a worrying amount. Maybe <laughs> disturbing <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Anyway, so we're going to be back in two weeks and it's going to be a Baxter building. We're doing uh, Fantastic Four 350 through 355. Woo. uh, Which is the end of the Walt Simonson run and two unrelated fill in issues because, of course, there are fill in issues. Jesus Christ. Holy moly. Um, And then, Jeff, we're going to have to deal with Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan. (sighs) We are not ready. I know. I know. It's, It's. it's going to be a thing. Holy shit. <laughs> anyway, let's put that to the back of our heads right now. And instead, I will tell you the show notes for this episode will be up on com. In the... Uh, actually, Jeff, you you will get to decide this. Are they going to go up at the same time as the episode, or are they going to be delayed? Oh. Uh,
0: oh. Uh, I uh, hate
2: terrifically for the Baxter building, because A, my workload was heavier than I thought, and B... Then the website went down. Right, which
0: is terrible. I think normally people, if you're paying attention, like usually what happens is the episode goes up Sunday night in the show notes. Because I, I, I just have not. Thanks, thanks to the miracle of being Mr. Guy with an impressive sounding job that I can't quite manage successfully. I. Don't do the show notes at the, at the sort of copious lengths that I used to and which Graham has turned into a fine art form with the Baxter building. So instead you'll probably get some quickie show notes from me on the same day that it goes up, which will probably be this Sunday.
2: Very exciting everyone. Anyway, that's weightwattpodcast.com. There's also com uh, where I put up just random images of things that I have read or thought of. I put up a lot of covers from The Crunch this
0: week. <laughs> so wonderful. Which is my new obsession. That is Jeff. amazing it's stuff, I have to say. Yeah, the the stuff uh, you've been the, posting the, from that.
2: The Crunch is basically, it looks like DC Thompson, who is another British publisher, um, their attempt to. To cash in on action, I guess? Cash in, oh, action or 2000 AD? Because oh. like, one of the taglines specifically says is thrill power.
0: Oh, well, there you go.
2: And it's 7 to 8, so that kind of makes sense for uh, time-wise. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was I'm I'm utterly obsessed with finding out more about the Crunch right now. Someone actually linked on my Twitter to a site where all all
0: the issues have been scanned and turned into CBRs. Holy shit! You gotta send me that link pronto. <laughs> yeah, Holy Christ! I haven't Christ. Read, I
2: haven't had a chance to read them yet. But but come on, Jeff. Come oh my on. God!
0: Right? Yeah.
2: Anyway, that's the Tumblr. Uh, there's also wait uh, at What Podcast on Twitter. Jeff is on Twitter, so at LazyBastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I'm on Twitter, so at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a patreon the podcast, which means Jeff fires up the Patreonometer.
0: I do. And I say all sorts of Patreon related things that um, I, I have to admit are a little far from my brain. So I apologize. Let's just say that listeners, you are the best and we feel incredibly fortunate to have you. Uh, and we are super grateful to you in all your stripes and denominations uh, that you come in. But um, we definitely uh, have a thank you. Um, on our lips for the fine folks at Patreon for being kind enough to pass along their interstellar dosh uh to us and um and help intergalactic groats <laughs> intergalactic groats. Exactly. Why 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 didn't I get it right the first time? Uh we'd you
2: know, also I'm misremembering that.
0: What's that? Isn't that what it's called in 2080? Oh, Graham, I don't have access to that at this particular moment. But I, I think you're right. I'm going to say that you're right.
2: Uh, okay. Apparently Googling is not going to help me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'd, we'd also like to thank uh, the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, we are especially grateful and indebted to their continuing support of this podcast and to all our patrons all of our listeners, you are all super, super awesome, and we are grateful. Thank you, Grant?
2: With that, I think it is time to wrap up this surprisingly long. I say surprisingly long because Jeff and I have just said, "Uh, wait, this is much
0: longer than we thought." We, I had no idea, sweet Jesus! Oh my god! Uh, thank
2: you for staying with us. Yes. Uh, through the episode, everyone, and we will be back in two weeks with the next building. Until then,
1: bye.